Persian Adventures Podcast, episode number 32, Return a Hero. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello, welcome, greetings, salutations, howdy y'all from the great state of Oklahoma where I live. I'm Daryl, and I gotta tell you, I will never look at a payphone again without thinking of my beloved show, Person of Interest. (laughs) If you can find one. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you notice, the ones that they always show on the show... If they do the wide shot, it's always conveniently on a little bit of a flat stand. It's like, it's got to be just a prop. They come in, hey, we need it. Let's just stick it on the, and it's always on the edge of the sidewalk, like right next to the curb. Like, there wouldn't be a payphone there. It would be back away from the curb. But anyway, I love the prop prop phones that they use. It's great. And they're all very rusty to let you know they're pretty old. Yeah. They probably have a, a member of the crew who's just like payphone guy. He like carries one <laughs> under his arm at all times. Hey, we need a payphone here. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Jay and Jack, uh, log carrying guy. From <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all listen to the same shows. Alrighty. Oh, by the way, I'm Doug, and and I'm so glad that I'm not being watched anymore. Oh, but or you? or am I? I don't know. <laughs> Man, we are so glad to have you here. We really are. We are covering the last Person of Interest episode, Season 5, Episode 13, the series finale, which originally aired June 21st, 2016, entitled Return Zero. And Return Zero, for those of you who did not catch our preseason episode, or the, I don't think, maybe I didn't mention it yet, uh, last week, for the uh, in in this spoiler shit, but Return Zero is generally the normal end of a program, where wait, returning on you know some number is the error code that whoever called you can check. Zero means there wasn't an error, and uh, anything else is an error. So Return Zero is a normal exit. So this the machine, I don't know. It seemed to shut down in response to the virus. Not really a normal shutdown, but certainly the series has come to a uh, a non-error conclusion. So uh, you, we will hear some uh, great feedback about this. We will hear a lot of your ratings for this, and a lot of you, I think, will agree that this indeed uh, was a, a, a good exit. And uh, so I think uh, so we got, we got a lot to cover here, folks. I mean, we've had some long shows in the past when we were doing two and three episodes, we're gonna be we're gonna be a long show today. There's a lot of good feedback. Wow. Yeah, got a lot of great stuff, and including one other little bit. My wife just came in. For those of you who are watching live, you saw me uh, reach back and mute my microphone and talk to somebody off camera. She came in holding three mangoes, asking me which one I wanted to <laughs> <laughs> consume. I completely forgot. I did. I went and bought it yesterday. I shared the the video on our group page of when I purchased it. Completely forgot today. So she is as we speak. 
uh, chopping that sucker up for me so that I can eat the mango because I lost a bet. We didn't see Team DC again for the rest of the season. So my uh, it's not a bad bet to lose. I mean, somebody on my regular Facebook page, because the video went there too, they're like, you lose a bet and you have to eat a mango? How is that, you know, losing a bet? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's I actually feel like I'm the winner, I think. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. like it. You like it. Now, I said... Uh, I commented on the thing. I'm, I'm like my my wife. I mean, she grew up overseas. She loves mangoes. Mm-hmm. She got her kids into them. They all love them. I'm kind of like, meh. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I like my citrus, really citrusy, kind of like you know an orange or a lemon or a uh, not not too much of a straight lemon, but you know that kind of a thing. Wow. And mango has a more uh, muted flavor, but those who like it love it. So there yeah. you are. Do you like grapefruit? Yes, actually, yeah, yes. Don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like grapefruit. Ah. Pineapple is my favorite. So next time I make a fruit bet, this is my third fruit bet. It started when Clint and I bet a banana over whether or not Olivia was pregnant on Fringe. And then Jeremy and I had a kiwi bet. And I'm not even sure what that one was about. But I won that one. I lost the banana bet. And now I've lost the mango bet. So the next one, well, I'm going to do pineapple and I'm going to lose on purpose. <laughs> If you don't like, um, if you don't like a, a grapefruit, there is a, and I'm hoping I get the name right. This is another thing my wife introduced me to. Uh, like I said, she grew up uh, overseas in Indonesia, and one of the things they had there is a, I believe it's called a juruk bali. I've heard of that. And it, okay, it's mm-hmm. like a grapefruit, but it is incredibly mild and very flavorful. You know, it doesn't have that sour uh, sourness that a, a grapefruit tends to have. I just fell in love with them, hmm. man alive. So that's another uh, possibility. I'll, I'll lose one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into it here. As you said, we have a lot to cover here about the series finale of the podcast. Uh, let's get it kicked off with a little bit of news, which seems a little bit weird. Like, what do we have news for? This is the end of the show. Well, we do have a little <laughs> bit, don't we, Doug? Yes, we do. Uh, first of all, the writers of this episode were Jonathan Nolan himself. Oh, yes, thank you. And and not only that, but our go-to gal for when somebody's dying, Denise <laughs> Tay. Yeah. Yes, indeedy. Somebody died, she's writing it. Thank you. So Jonathan Nolan, you know, when he got his hand in this one, and Denise Tay, and their director was the ever-loving Chris Fisher, who's done a great job um, in this whole series. Uh, TV by the numbers gay. I said that person of interest ended its run on CBS with ratings in line with much of the season. And, you know, if you look at them, they're about the same. Uh, the series finale scored a 1.0 rating in adults 18 to 49. Uh, even, even with last week on, on par with the season average, uh, it had 6.51 million viewers. And that, again, that was a little better than a couple of weeks ago. But uh, so anyway, we had a good, uh, a good, a, a decent showing. I mean, it was in terms of viewers, it was third for the night behind uh, America's Got Talent and an NCIS rerun. So there you are. And even and if you take out all the reruns, just the, you know, the, the new shows that night, uh, it handily beat every non-rerun, except, of course, America's Got Talent. That always gets, you know, sure. a bunch of people there. Sure. Uh, you know, about twice as much. But yeah, so, I mean... It went out on top in its uh, in its time slot, and it, not just its time slot, but its whole night. So there you go. Yeah, it's a shame. It really is. Well, if you want more POI, then as we've said a few weeks now, that the DVDs, the full series DVD, as well as the season five DVD for those of you who already own seasons one through four or Blu-ray, um, 
July 19th is your day that you can do that. If you want to support this podcast while you make that purchase, simply use the link goldenspiralmedia.com slash Amazon. That'll redirect you over to Amazon. And then everything you uh, put into your cart and purchase, we will get a little piece of that. You'll pay the same price. We'll get a little sliver of that. And that goes right back into supporting the hosts and the website you know, hosting costs, media hosting costs, all the expenses uh, that we have here at Golden Spiral Media. So thank you for that. You know, if you want to set your bookmark to that, show us a little love, goldenspiralmedia.com slash Amazon. We would love that too. You know what else we love, Douglas? We love uh, some feedback. Should we Mm. share some of the feedback that we got about uh, old episodes before we get into this week's new episode? Well, this isn't so much old episode. It's a prediction of how the uh, finale was going to mm, wind that's up. That's true. Yes, I did. I did miss uh, misspeak. So we've got a couple of them. One is from Doc H, our wonderful friend Dutch. He said, "My guess for the finale episode is huge." <laughs> that's my, that's my Donald Trump. You know, <laughs> is that what that was? <laughs> my guess for the final episode is huge. Up there with Sopranos, Lost, Fringe, Newhart, Mash, etc. That's, that's quite a bit to mm-hmm. live up through there. Hmm. I believe that the entire 100-plus episode series was, quote-unquote, a simulation. Finch, Reese, Shaw, Fusco, and Carter never were. The entire AI-building venture was all from the mind of Root. We only initially saw her as a preteen in Texas when the young lady she fancied as a good friend was murdered after leaving the library. Root has always been the heroine, IT guru, since then and has been wielding her fanatical IT skills for years. Remember that we actually heard her voice after only a few episodes. She was a psychologist, but unseen. Currently, Root may be trying to sell an advanced AI system to the government, or something trying to improve the plight of mankind. But that is why we hear her voice at the beginning of the season, telling her AI about the simulations that are now over or ending, and the key personnel, our team machine, were the solution to the final 100-plus simulations, a.k.a. episodes. The AI leash is off now. Of course, the folks on Team Machine actually exist, but in real life, they were never physically involved. Return Zero refers to Roots unleashing the AI from her VR sim world into the real world. That would have been interesting, but it was not. It was, nope. I'm, I'm, I am afraid. I mean, it's a, that's a, sounds like a cool ending, but I am afraid that too many people would, uh, would consider that, you know, a la Dallas. It was all just a horrible, horrible dream, you know. I don't know if that would have... That would have rubbed some people the wrong way. Yeah, that's my only beef with it. Because we, we talked about a similar scenario at some point this season. And um, I love the idea. But I think at the end, if, if all that we saw was nothing, was just in the mind of a computer, I think that would, that would be very disappointing. So um, if, we, if, if, if that was the launch into something else, then that would be great. But if that's mm-hmm. how it concludes, I think that... If this was two-thirds of the way through the uh, series, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also got this in from Brent, and he says, uh, Dear Daryl and Doug, a.k.a. Doug and Daryl, <laughs> before I get to my theory, please accept my gratitude for all the work you've put into the podcast. You're both gifted communicators, and it's been a real treat to be listening in along the way. He he. I actually had a phone call with him last week, and he gushed all over you, Doug, so... He's a big fan. Is that what that was? Okay, yep. I thought it was the cat. Yep. Um, he said, I <laughs> believe you, that we're likely to hear you are not being watched in the final episode <laughs> intro. That would have been neat. 
And he says, also the big one, the season opener voiceover is from a post-machine slash Samaritan world. You got that part right. However, someone has discovered the subway laptops and is hearing from an iteration of the machine that doesn't know if it's team won or lost, is alive or dead, but has a story to tell. Thanks again, guys. I hope you find the next great show and latch on. So he's very close there. I don't know that the recording at the end was going to a specific... I don't think there's someone in the subway. I think it was just for the... Viewers. I think it was Root teaching the uh, the new machine, the new copy. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I think I think that... Oh, the, the, yeah, the old machine leaving something for the new machine. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had that thought too, but then I thought, well, maybe not. So <clears> we'll, we'll kind of explore that a little bit when we get to the end of our discussion, but... Love these predictions, and there's a lot of people. I opened up a thread on Facebook this week trying to say, you know, hey, throw out your predictions and your ideas, and a lot of great discussion came out of that. That was a lot of fun to to kind of see everybody bad ideas back and forth, so that was a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody who participated in that. All right. We also had a lot of people participate in our uh, listener episode rating thing that we do. I think, that, I think we had the most we've ever had. Yeah. Uh, I gave it 10 rooftop visits from Root. Root on the rooftop. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, and and speaking of Christmas music, 11 missiles are cruising. <laughs> I turned it all the way up to 11. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Abby Mack gave it nine renewals. We should have gotten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to go that way. Andrew Jeeves, 10 and a half bittersweet goodbyes. Yeah. Uh, Andrew B. Or Andrew, as uh, he likes to be called, <laughs> gave it ten successful connections. Does he like all, being called that, or do we just like calling him that? I'm not He's sure. never said otherwise. So okay. <laughs> Todd Fox gave it ten thermonuclear devices. Linda Beck gave it ten persons of interest. Zachary Chong gave it eight viruses. Eight. <laughs> Alex Fiddler. He- He's in, Zach's in the chat room, so he'll get to say, you know, what he means. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Alex Fiddler gave it 10 previous arrangements. Mm. Like that. Pam Elger gave it 10 sodden hankies. Mm. Brent Brooks gave it 10 Parisian reunions. Carol Anders gave it 10 Fitbits. <laughs> nice little product placement there. Uh-huh. Karen Stewart gave it 10 chocolate Timbits. Barb Rankin gave it ten boxes of Kleenex. Are we getting a you know kind of a kind of a, a common theme here or a common uh, I, numerical? We value? are. I love this. In fact, uh, uh, spoiler alert: Zachary's eight is going to be the lowest of them all. Uh, <laughs> this is great. Um, let's see. Oh yes, Brenda Tackett gave it ten teardrops. Oh, Brian Bud Bude. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm going to mess that up. He gave it 10, finally a show goes off on a great note, standing ovations. Nice. Bill Bluell gave it 10, satellite escapes, wow, flawless. Benjamin Jensen turned it up as well to 11, 11 Harold and Grace reunions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas Clark gave it 10, sappy goodbyes. Gurgit Manjal gave it 10, Paybacks all at once. 
Adam from New Zealand. I love the, uh, we got people all over the globe here. Adam from New Zealand gave it 10,000 out of 10,000 daily steps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Carol Dolacek gave it 10 properly resolved storylines. Mm-hmm. Karen Lindsay gave it 10 references to cardboard cutouts. One of my, the two, uh, there were two great jokes in this episode for me. That was one of them. That was great. Oh, man. I, I, when I watched it the second time, it was like, I, it still cracked me up. If yeah. we were talking about donuts and shooting cardboard cutouts, you'd be in charge. That's right. Hey. And, <laughs> and finally, Patrick Alabama Fringe said, I give this episode 10. Times I tried to convey an adequate response and failed to sum up the magnitude appropriately. <laughs> One of the best finales I have seen. Only Fringe did it a bit better. There you are. He was definitely a big Fringe fan. So thank you all for all those uh, those uh, those ratings. That was just that was amazing. And like I said, I think it. Uh, oh oh oh! We we have the mango. The, the mango, mango has, has landed. Arrived. Mm. Mm. Alrighty. What, what what do you think? What do you think? You know, it's uh, a little tart to begin with. Little but, tart, yeah. And once the tart sinks in, it's actually quite good. Interesting yeah. tart. Now, I whenever I have it, I would not describe it as tart. Like I said, it's it, to me, it's a more muted mm-hmm. fruit. I don't think these are quite ripe. Um, all three uh, of them okay. that we got, we had some. We had quite a bit of discussion on how to tell the ripeness of the uh, of the mango. I thought it was color, but I was also trying to feel them because a lot of times, you know, softer is better. And then, so we, Doug, you you posted the article about how to tell if a mango is ripe, and it talked about the softness. And so we're we're all at the table eating lunch yesterday, feeling these mangoes, and regardless of the color, they all felt about the same. So uh, I don't know that they they are all kind of hard. So I don't know that this is quite ripe, but I'm going to suffer through. Well, it. yeah, try it again in uh, two three days. Yeah. Yeah, go to mango.org, folks. Yes, it's an actual thing. It is. You know what else is an actual thing? What? The series finale of Person of Interest, unfortunately. Oh, do we, do we have to start talking about that Let's now? talk about that, Doug. Um, these are always difficult. This is the, 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 only the second time I've got to do a series finale right. In other words, Fringe was a proper send-off. The other shows were yes. kind of just ended. Um and by the way, Alabama, who was it? Um, Patrick. I, I yes. agree. Fringe did their finale a little bit better. This was wonderful. And we'll talk a little bit why I thought Fringe was a little bit better. What, what I thought, more so what I thought this one could have done to be better, even though I gave it a 10. Um, but for me, Doug, right out of the gate, the very opening scene in the music, it just felt... I don't know, maybe it was my emotion going into it because I was a little nervous as, you know, there's the clock is ticking and now it's, you know, nine o'clock uh, central, 10 o'clock for you and, and it's time to watch it. And I was, I was amped up. I was nervous, you know, I wanted it to end the right way and I'm sure that played into it. But at the same time for me, the, the opening with the music and the rooftop and just the, the feel of that scene, it felt like this is something different this is something more it has more weight to it and you know so maybe it was just like i said me kind of putting that into it because i knew that it did carry more weight but i don't know did you feel like it really did start out with just something that told us this was going to be a little something extra special 
I have a bit of a musical background, and I am surprised how little I notice background music in TV shows. Mm -hmm. But this episode, like you said, right from the get-go, that little neener 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 was just was creepy and foreboding, and I loved it. I mean, I loved that music. And yeah, it really did give you that uh, that sense of this is you know this is something different. It's not as far as I remember, <laughs> and I don't. Like I said I don't really you know think about the music in the background, but as far as I remember, it was, it was rather unique in um, in POI music, and it, uh, it like I said really set the stage, really set the, the the setting. I think we do see that Harold's been shot uh, very soon. After that, and uh, so yeah, no, it was a great. It will actually. It first starts out with a little bit of the um, the ice nine outages that are going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing the collapse and things going on. We don't um, we don't get our usual intro, and we do see kind of a machine point of view. It's losing functionality. That sets the stage. Root is kind of giving the opening monologue from the first uh, episode of the season again, right? You know, can you hear me? Who's she talking to? Still, that, that's still an open question. And then we get, you know, Harold walking out onto the uh, the roof. And his, you can, you can, they do a great job of, he's, he's you know, walking kind of hurt. I mean, he's had that, that limp since the, uh, so, uh, the uh, explosion that killed Nathan. Right. But... He is, you can, he see, it's more pronounced. He's got, you know, been shot. We don't know uh, under what circumstances. And when the door closes behind him, he's, he jumps around and he's got the gun out. The gun? You know? I mean, it was just the door. The yeah. gun! Harold gets your gun. <laughs> you know, so you can tell he is jittery. I mean, that, that, that was a great way to do it, too. Two things. Number one, you, you, you get the, the sense of his emotion. And number two, you pulled the gun out. Now, I don't think he ever actually used it. No, he never did. But, no. but he had it, you know, yeah. and that's something he didn't ever want to do. But there he is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's quite a bit of discussion going on over here about the intro the, with the rooftop intro scene and whether or not it was good or, or not. And, you know, I, I thought about this quite a bit last night. I, I rewatched the episode for the second time last night and then the third time today. And it, my first thought was, you know, for a season that only had 13 episodes and then you've got one episode to wrap it all up, how resourceful, uh, how how um, efficient, that's the word, was it to, in this episode, show the voiceover montage, the voiceover, root voiceover twice and the rooftop scene twice? You've got 43 minutes to tell your story and you're going to double up on both of those things. And not only that, but the storytelling method in this, I mean, every episode of POI is a nonlinear storytelling method to some degree because we have the flashbacks from the machine POV, right? But those are... To to let us know that we're going back and forth, yeah. Yes, but that's different. This was a nonlinear storytelling method in the in the present like it it told the present circumstances out of order it gave us the herald on the rooftop with a bullet wound in his gut uh, which by the way that was not i mean he was heavy breathing he was he was not his normal limping he was it was clear he was he was wounded i didn't think that was mm-hmm. a big reveal at all when he you know puts his hand to his vest and shows the blood but um 
this this so this nonlinear storytelling method that they used in this episode, you know, could the story have been so so thinking about that, then I then I kind of came to the question, okay, would this would the episode have been better if they had chosen a more linear storytelling where we see Harold get to the rooftop out of breath, limping, wounded, turning the gun towards the noise and, and all the shaking of the gun and all of that. Would it have worked better or the same had that been done linearly? And the answer, in my opinion, is absolutely not. We needed the setup. We needed that little bit of a hook. But more so, I think it, it, um, that w- the weight wouldn't have been the same. If we had seen what led them up to that point as it got to that point, the rest of the episode wouldn't have, I don't think, it wouldn't have had the same dynamic, and I don't think it would have been as strong of a dynamic. So then I think you can argue, okay, we'll do it in such a way that there is that strong dynamic and not make it nonlinear because it, it always feels kind of weird. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a strong argument you can go back and forth here, and we're certainly getting that in the chat over here. But for me, at the end of the day, after I kind of thought through it, and, and in my mind, I think this was the right way to go. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I liked it. I liked the way they, it, it, when they did come back, you know, first of all, you see, well, first of all, like you said, we don't have a machine per, per, uh, point of view like we, we had it a little bit at one point where you see the time, the time uh, go back, the timer and that kind of thing. But I, I, I did like being able, you know, to see this, you know, we see a, and you've seen a lot of, you know, TV shows do the same sort of thing. Movies even do that. Here's the result of something that's happened. Harold asks a question. I know what happened to John. What happened to the others? Um, So, you know, this gives us, this plants the questions in our head. You know, how did we get here? He knows what happened to John. Is that good or bad? You know, so I, I, it it does set that up. Now, Zach Chong said in the, um, in the chat room, he said, you know, but it, it, it kind of takes away from the moment where Finch is actually shot. And I would agree, but I think it added more to it than it took away at that spot. Um, You know, you've got, and like I said, we did come back to this to let you know that we have now arrived at that spot, and it was very slow. I mean, not not very slow, but it was very abbreviated the second time we get there. Just enough to, to you know, kind of reestablish that this is the same the same scene as we saw at the very beginning. So I, I, I like that. And another thing I liked at the beginning was something we had, uh, they had established this already at the beginning of the season, because uh, otherwise this wouldn't have necessarily made any sense. The machine is saying, is this now? You know, I can't, is this the present or is this one of my memories? You know, it's kind of unstuck in time, so to speak, to borrow from a um, from another um, uh, movie. I forget now what that movie was, something unstuck in time. Anyway, so, yes, he, we, we've seen that before, so we see it again, and then the machine's just trying to... Uh, Make sure that it knows that okay, this is now what we're talking about. What we're t- we're talking to Harold here. This is now, and it can't see the others. It can't tell it's uh, present from its memories, and so it is reasonable to assume that the machine just forgot. You know the answer to life. Uh, later on, it's a great line yeah. from from Harold. Yes, You've yeah. figured out the answer to life, and now you can't remember it. You know, <laughs> oh, that was great, great setup, but a, you know, good way to add a little. A little tension because when you have a, you know, it's a, a bit of technology that is like all powerful, then you have to hobble it sometimes. And it, sometimes it doesn't really work out that well. Like, you know, you can make the transporter in Star Trek do magical things, you know. And so now what do you do now? Now you have to, you know, keep that from being 
available when you need it so that you have some drama. In this case, we've already established the fact that the machine can get confused as to the present and the past and the and that sort of thing. So it was a great um, a great way to bring that in and a great way to kind of hobble the machine so we didn't get to we didn't get the answers too quickly. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah, and those are some of the thoughts I had too as to um, as to why I thought it worked better this way. Uh, and you know, when Finch actually does get shot, when we see that, I think because we 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 had seen him already shot and it wasn't a shock to us. I actually found that scene to be a little bit humorous because he gets shot and he's like, oh, you know, like a, <laughs> yeah, a very good. Finchian way to respond, very proper, like, oh, look at me, I've been shot, you know? So <laughs> I thought it was, I actually found it a bit a bit humorous when we actually do see the gunshot scene, but. Um, that is good. And the things that they did with um, with the machine, I mean, so this is a fantastic writing. Yeah. And, you know, they explain a bit how, you know, oh, the machine can predict what's going to happen and prevent it. And that's what, you know, at one point, you know, the machine does say, I've seen people, you know, people die. And Harold says, well, you were supposed to prevent them. Yes, but in order to prevent them, I had to know how they died. I had to play that out all these different ways and then figure out the way to save them. Yep. And so, I mean, that was a great little insight. I hadn't really thought of that before, that it's, if you're going to, in part, and I know this is a little unreal, you know, not realistic. But they have this have emotions coming out of this machine, but we've kind of you know made that part of the mythos. Okay, right. given that, then you know, to predict people, you have to understand them. You have to break down their life into you know moments, so you know bits, if you will, in uh, computer lingo, and. Um, and, and especially the moment that they die and you find out more about them. Uh, the machine believes that, uh, they find that the most about them, who they really are, uh, in their last moment. And so that's how the machine can then go back and do its predicting. I really love that. That was a great, um, a great insight into, you know, what the machine had to be going through, you know, for all these people all the time. Yeah. And it harkens back to last or not last week, episode 10, when, uh, although I guess it was episode 11 when we heard him, the machine kind of telling Harold, you know, I had to watch Root die 12,000 times before mm-hmm. uh, she actually died. Um, we get some death scenes throughout this throughout this episode. The, this one here, the one that kind of keeps recurring over and over again, we see a young boy standing over the grave at the funeral of presumably his father holding an American flag in the rain Root is there, although that was a little bit weird because, I mean, the machine obviously was not nearly even alive, if you want to call it alive, back then. But And it would have been covered by a security camera, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. So that was a little bit weird, but I still liked what they were trying to do aesthetically, so that that's fine. To me, well, the first time they showed this, I didn't think a whole lot of it because he's talking, the mach- she is talking about death and how she's had to watch death over and over again. So I think this is just an example of that. Cause we also see the man dying in the street, uh, which we'll see a couple of times and, and things like that. Right. So I think it's just another one of those, but, but it became pretty clear well before they revealed that this was, you know, John as a boy watching his father laid to rest. And this is brilliant stuff here because we named our episode, uh, return a hero, return being the 
you know, kind of a playoff of the Return Zero uh, mm-hmm. actual episode title. But this episode, in my opinion, brilliantly concluded the hero's journey of John Reese. We almost got his last name at the very, very end. We'll we'll get to that. But um, you know, here's a guy, and I went back and watched a little bit of the pilot today. Not a whole. I didn't get a chance to watch it all. But here's a guy who just wanted to save people, and Harold gave him the the power to know ahead of time so that he could save people. And through these flashbacks, we see him really wanting to be like his dad and wanting to be a hero. And Root's going to talk about in your final moments is when you truly find out who you are. And so that's very, we've got all that information we need to kind of pack into John during his final moments. But it all starts right here with this little glimpse of a young boy watching his dad be laid to rest. And this was amazing. I loved this. This added so much value to the episode for me and, and the character arc of John. Yes, yes. And, and and it gave kind of the starting point of the arrow that was shot from that point because you hear the people and he hears the guys behind him yes, talking about what his dad thing. did. Yes, thank you. Yes. That he was, he, he went in there and he, you know, he, he was the hero and he did not hesitate. And he, you know, he, he, he was, he was the hero in his dying moments. Yep. And that I think made a very big impression on on John, the uh, the adult. Yeah, yeah, so powerful. Loved it. Well, um, where are we at here? We've just been chatting away. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shaw is next. She's at Root's grave. Yes. Um, and I wasn't quite sure exactly what she was feeling. You know, on and the on the ground, I, there was like a a, a a hole in the ground or something. Um, and the machine talks to, now I guess this is the first time the machine actually spoke to Shaw in her, uh, you know, the earwig or whatever. In the root voice too. That would be, would that, I would have freaked out. I mean, I know that Shaw's like the straight arrow, right? But mm-hmm. I still think, man, if, if I think root is dead and she is, and then I hear the voice of root in my ear as mm-hmm. I'm standing over root's grave. I'm sorry. I'm I'm freaking out. I'm like running like a crazy lunatic out of that cemetery. She handled that way better than I would have. <laughs> you would have screamed like a little girl. I would have screamed like a little girl. Or Doug would take your pick. Either way. Hey. <laughs> oh man. So I guess they dug her up. Yeah. And you know, the machine says something about and I didn't really it didn't catch it until the second viewing. Where they, where she said, ah, I should have had her cremated, um, but uh, they dug up to get her cochlear implant. Now, now, I gotta believe that line was important, and we'll see some um, some feedback later on, where uh, some pe- somebody believes that that's how they were finding Team Machine by tracking that. But then, why would they want it after she's dead? I'm not sure. Maybe trying to get uh, an in with the machine. I don't know exactly. I saw that feedback come in too, and um, we'll, we'll get to that for sure. But I didn't think about that until the feedback came in. So as I rewatched, I think I, I saw. I think I rewatched two times after that, and I, I think that's right. I think that they were basically able to use the because they're all tied into the machine via their ear implants. But Root didn't need one of those because she had the cochlear implant, and so. I say the ear input, like the hearing aid looking thing that's what they all wear. So I bet you they had that kind of wired into their system 
And so when anybody got any transmission that went out to the team, like it was like they had the walkie-talkie on the same frequency that the rest of the team had. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So they just, you know, mentioned that a little bit, and then, of course, uh, the machine saves, saves uh, Shaw from from the Samaritan goons again. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was nice. And, I mean, and that would be, again, you're still listening to the voice of somebody you thought had died talk you out of the situation. Here comes the hearse in a couple of seconds, and off you go. That, that's, you know, that's got to be... That's got to be a real life changer for for Shaw in terms, and not entirely life changer, but a mind changer. Just to really mess with her mind, yeah. Well, and it sets up the final shot of the season season series, the sh- the episode. So without this and that, that I mean, Shaw needed to know that Root was out there in the voice in the form of the ma- the machine, you know, prior. to, or the ending doesn't work, right? So this was kind of the setup for that too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Well, then we find Reese and Fusco, you know, going into the uh, into the precinct now, and, and Fusco's got a very good uh, concern. You know, maybe this is not the place for us to be at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but yeah, they've got to find Finch. They still don't know where he is, um, and so that you know, they, Reese is trying to get somebody to look it up, but it's just the whole Ice Nine thing is everybody's going, you know, bananas. Or mangoes. And, uh, thank you. I worked on that. They, uh, they, it was interesting that the, I guess it's the lieutenant who talks to them. And, you know, Riley's been quote unquote on sick leave for more than a week. Fusco left with LaRue and, you know, didn't come back with him. And it's just, it's one, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these things where you have the whole time that, that uh, Reese has been Detective Riley, and he's been going out dealing with yeah. the numbers. You're wondering, well, how are they letting him do that? Well, you know, they're not. You know, he's on sick leave for a week. He's, you know, off books thing. You know, it, it, a little a little stretching of credulity, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see at the end here, the lieutenant saying, guys, what the heck is going on with you two? And, uh, and so then he brings them into the office, and I'm thinking they're going to be, uh, you know, try, he's going to try to, figure out what's going on, but it's not. He's just saying, guys, badge and gun, thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, and he, it was interesting. Now, th- this is another one of those things that, why would he think this necessarily? But he looks at Reese and, can, you know, starts talking about this vigilante that they'd been, you know, searching for, you know, three or four years ago, the man in the suit. And why would... You know why now? Now, Riley, Detective Riley, does not wear usually the same clothes as everybody else. Doesn't you know? Um, he's he's usually better dressed, although he doesn't have a tie, because that wouldn't be cool. But um, but yeah, man in a suit, and um, you know it, that that I thought was a little stretch, but it was interesting to to to, to kind of say, hey, buddy, we figured out who you are. Maybe this is Samaritan information that he got. Oh yeah, I think so it's we, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, he's trying to get their badges and guns, finally pulls the gun out, you know, and uh, wonderful Reese takes him down. Um, and now, you know, Fusco is really worried about his pension. And I mean, he ought to be, you know. Well, you and don't do that to the lieutenant. Yeah, I mean, I might have rated this episode an 11 had it not been for what transpired in this scene um, and, and the things that tie back into this scene. Fusco's worried about his pension. He should be. 
because when they left the well, first off, they took out the captain. I mean, they just they didn't kill him. Obviously, they put him to sleep. Even though Reese did it, Fusco was there, so he's just as guilty. Number two, when they come out of the office, everybody's got their guns pulled. Not just the four guys that were on the docks or three guys. Everybody. That was amazing. That was like why, that really hit me. Yeah. So I can't figure out at the end when Fusco is Fusco still a cop? Is he not? It seems like he's back on the force, and there is like nothing ever happened. And I could buy that if it was just those three cops, and they were all paid off by Samaritan, but it was like the whole force and the captain was knocked out. So that was a little bit weird for me. Um, mm. A little mm-hmm. bit of a, too much of a hand wavy thingy, like for Fusco to have the happy ending that he got, but okay, whatever. I'll, I'll go with it. The, and the other thing I didn't like was just, and this is just the nature of this 13 episode season. When we last left our band of heroes, they were all struggling to get out of the NSA. And now this episode picks up and, and, all that's gone behind them. There was no no repercussions of that. We last left Fusco with LaRue, and we were trying to figure out what went on there, and they just kind of, yeah, he's in the trunk. I mean, it seemed to have a lot of a weight, and, and there was something significant that needed to happen there. He was making a, you know, it was a turning point for Fusco. Which way would he go? And it was like an afterthought here. Yeah, we put him in the trunk. And so, and I understand because of the 13 episode season, they kind of just had to move through those and didn't get, weren't able to give them the depth and, you know, the fullness that they probably would have otherwise done. But th- that was a bit of a disappointment for me to kind of see the way it ended last week. And then so much has happened this week just to get them back on solid ground again so they can continue their assault. So. We lost an opportunity for a nice emotional scene there. We we got a little bit of it, got the first half of it essentially last week, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't get the payoff like uh, like it would have uh, like would have been nice. Yeah. Right, right. Although I did like that Fusco did acknowledge to Reese that he was a changed man. You yep. know that his his involvement and that's something that Harold needed to hear. You know. But it was nice to hear him actually come out and say it to uh, to Reese that he's, um, you know, they they saved him. He's a he's a different man than he was when this all started, and uh, and that's that has been the that's the arc. That was a great redemption arc, and you know he he at the end of it, he knows where he was, where he's been, and how he's changed. Yeah, and that that's always nice to see uh, to acknowledge that. You guys saved me, essentially. Not just you know not all these numbers, yes, but we've also got a, kind of the the long con, the long uh, the long number, if we, if you will. It's like Fusco's number was five years ago, and it, it's taken this long to really turn him around, mm-hmm. and uh, and it he did, yeah, yeah. But that was still great. I mean, look, we saw the flash sideways last week of of what might have mm-hmm. been. <laughs> And we saw where where Fusco's life would have turned out had it not been for the intervention of the machine and team machine. And so this was great for him to, to for him to realize that, for him to know, you know, if, if it hadn't been for you guys coming, coming into my life, I, I'm a changed man and I would have been bad, you know. And so that was great to hear him acknowledge that and to give uh, thanks and respect to, to Reese as they thought they were going to die. Did you think they were going to die? Did you think that we, we, they had met their end here? Or what were your thoughts? I, I, as I said before, I thought that Fusco was going to die just because he had done, he had done his redemption. I thought it was be kind of a, a penance, if you will, for uh, the bad things he had done. And, and I, 
I was ready for it. If they hadn't had both of them there, I would have, um, mm-hmm. I would have thought yes. But to have Reese and, um, and Fusco there, I didn't think it was going to happen. Didn't know how it was going to happen though. Um, and it was nice to hear that, um, that Thornhill Industries hasn't been forgotten. Yeah, that was great. That was really awesome. And it's kind of expanded its horizon and is now hiring snipers. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure. I was really nervous. I thought, surely this isn't how they end. Again. It is. And stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> we had been warned that there would be a bloodbath, that there would be multiple deaths this season. And going into this episode, I wasn't sure what the body count would be. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so I thought it wouldn't have surprised me if either of these guys would have died. But as, as that scene's playing out, I'm thinking, this isn't how these characters end, right? And so I was glad <laughs> to see at the last minute, Thornhill Sniper Agency came to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> Thornhill Sniper Agency. Yes. We're there when you need us. Thank you. That's right. Uh, that was good. And then Finch walks up and he says, mm-hmm. are you ready? Or something to that effect. Ready for what? To end this. And it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he like puts the shades on. (laughs) CSI Miami. CSI Miami. Thank you. Yeah. Although it wasn't a terrible pun, but anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is also where Reese talked about, you know, he owes Harold a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is just another one of these things where, you know, that Harold kind of saved him from, um, from a certain demise. And he said, I figured I'd pay you back all at once. And we'll hear that again at the very end of the episode, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the callback there. It was, um, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a foreshadowing, once you know the end, that he's going to be making that payment very soon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I loved, and I originally I wasn't sure, is this a flashback or not? Because again, we're not getting machine point of view, scrolling back and forth and all that. But we get uh, a scene with Harold and Grace. And talking about and this is where we find out about why the bird thing mm-hmm. and it was it was absolutely wonderful well first of all harold was worried that he never visited his dad in the facility because he'd he thought his his father might be ashamed of some of the decisions he'd made i would imagine you know things related to his treason charge and things like that but he was but he loved his dad because of all the information about birds that he learned from his dad. And his dad didn't care about birds, but Harold loved him. Yeah. And he, and he, he loved to watch him. And as a fussy little baby, that would calm him down. And as he was growing up, dad went out and learned something about them for his son. And I thought that, you know, we've, we've had just, you know, glimpses here and there of, of Harold's relationship with his dad. And it can, up until this point, it could you could kind of be left with a bad taste in your mouth. Why is Harold, you know, not not visiting, um, you know, things like that? But here we, you know, we see number one, he's a little um, he's a little ashamed of going back to see his dad about because of what he'd think. But also, he loved his dad because he knew what his dad had done for him. You know, it, not a big sacrifice, but it's not something he was interested in. But he did it anyway. Yep. Because he knew his uh, son loved it, I thought that was a fantastic little, uh, a little vignette there. I, it's you know somebody can say that eh, it really wasn't that much of a, it didn't really move the plot along. No, but it's a loose end that really did need to be tied up, um, especially with the bird thing. Just you know, right. Harold and all his Finch and Wren and Osprey and all that. 
you know, that was a nice thing, but also the, just the moment there about his uh, relationship with his dad and try to explain that to us. That was great. No, I, I agree, too. And, of course, anytime we get Harold and Grace on screen together, it's so good. And um, so this was this was great. And at this point, I wasn't sure what Harold's ending was going to be. I mean, my prediction that I made in that Facebook thread earlier in the week was that Harold was going to end up in prison for all the crimes that he committed and that, you know, that he's ashamed to go back to his dad for, and, you know, he broke into the NSA last week. Like I said, that just magically he got out of there, which, okay, that's, that's fine. I just wish I we got more resolution on that, but I thought he was going to end up in jail because of that. So, um, at this point, you know, any of these scenes we get to kind of give us more of Harold's backstory and stuff like that, they're great. And this was very powerful. I mean, that was one of the things when I was a kid I wish my dad would have done was take more of an interest in the things that I was interested in. You know, he would take me hunting and fishing, and I didn't care anything about hunting and fishing. And I know he wanted to spend time with me, but, you know, I wish he would have picked some things that were of interest to me. So this scene here, it is great. It is beautiful to see, you know, a parent do that, to take something they're completely uninterested in and become interested in it for the sake of their child. And that's, that's really beautiful. We go back to the rooftop with the machine and Harold there. This is the time at one point where, you know, she's trying to remember everybody does alone then something and he cracks yeah. up. you've learned the secret of life and you've forgotten it. The laugh there, we haven't seen a lot of intense emotion out of Finch. He's been very even keeled. This is just, and there was a couple of places in this uh, episode where, we get uh, a little more emotion out of him, and it was great. It was great to see him laugh at that. But the uh, but but as they're talking, still, you know, and let me go back and say that this episode was a lot of talk, and yep. not just talk, but it was less action, more exposition, and yes. I it needed to be that because this has been a much more cerebral. Um, Set up, you know, plot more interesting questions, and and yes, it's been wrapped around car chases and uh, lots of uh, bullets and uh, shell casings. But the ending of it here, while it still had some of that, it really did need to deal with those um, those those heart issues, those intellectual issues, and that's just going to be in conversation. They had to make it very interesting, you know, just. Not two people sitting across from a table necessarily, but a disembodied machine and Harold shot on the top of a roof. You know, this was really great. And she's she's going through and have, this is another place where she mentions she has to, to watch people die so that she can keep them from dying. And and this is a question I had asked uh, earlier I, in previous seasons. How many people can you save? I mean, how many people die in New York City every day? You know, why these numbers? And we get an explanation here. There were so many people. She just couldn't help. It wasn't going to happen. She couldn't figure out a way to do it. There was that. uh, 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 And this is, I I don't know exactly the, the reason. Maybe you have an idea for this. But we had that scene where a guy who apparently looks like a Wall Street uh, mogul is on a is, you know, dead in the street, and he's got his briefcase, and the guy's saying, yeah, guys, get the rest of my 401k in his uh, briefcase. And it turns out it's like toys for his kids or something. Yeah. And um, I wasn't sure exactly the point of that, other than to say this is another one of those folks that uh, the machine didn't uh, figure it could save. 
Uh, do you have any 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 uh, reason why you think they had that th- they had the scene play out the way they did? Not exactly. Um, just to kind of remind us not to assume things mm-hmm. about people. Um, yeah, I mean that's 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 the moral lesson. Maybe it was a bit weird because it didn't tie in like the other one did, like the what ended up being Young John. Uh, unless there was something here that did tie in, and I completely missed it, but I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I was wondering exactly uh, why it played out like that. Anyway, but it was it was like you said, probably uh, a a good um, don't judge, you know, don't assume before you know all the facts. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we start we start moving the pieces to the uh, kind of the end game here, where we bring Fusco to the Batcave. And meets the machine, and then I, I love it. He's um, this is uh, next next step crazy, next step nuts, something like that. You know, he's like, "Are you serious? You've you've got this all knowing machine in a subway car?" Um, and, and I like it. I mean, that's Fusco is the he's I think, and I think either you said it or one of our uh, listeners said it before that he's kind of the the person. He's the viewer. He's the audience. He's kind of yep. the the Hurley of Lost, um, where he's asking those questions, and he has the same reactions that you and I would have. Where we put in that same situation, it's nice to it. It gives the it gives you know it, it's like in a um, a TV show of superheroes when you first find out there's a superhero at all. What would you what would you act like? You know, and in a lot of a lot of shows, they kind of gloss over that a little bit. I think, but uh, but you know, this is. His reactions to each of these new revelations has been kind of what the rest of us would, and that was good. That's one of his um, one of his roles in this uh, in this show has been to be the uh, the voice of the viewer, going, "What the heck?" Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know, it was, it was nice to see him get the full reveal of of um, the Batcave, if you will. So um, that was kind of nice. Although he called uh, Shaw Cocoa Puffs or something like that. One more time, yeah. yeah which he always kind of called Root that, which I thought was kind of weird. But Oh, okay, all righty. Yeah. And we have, we, you know, they, they finally part ways here. You know, we're going to, one one half is going to defend the machine, one half is going to go to the Federal Reserve. Th- that's another one of those things where I, th- I think they had some more episodes they could have explained it, but how did he know they were in the Federal Reserve in a in the vault? You know, I I didn't I didn't quite get that. Who? Uh, oh, how did how did Harold know where? It how was? did Harold know that? Yeah, yeah, that was just kind of a, a magic um, bit of knowledge that he pulled out of seemingly nowhere. You're right. If it's air gapped, the machine wouldn't know about it necessarily, unless there was electronic, you know, uh, uh, messages back and forth about building it there. And but it just that just seems like a poof. Okay, here's where it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was you know Brent when he when he and I were talking earlier in the week he talked about the air gapped version of the machine and Samaritan that were you know going toe to toe in the inside the Faraday cage of the subway car and his prediction was that would be how the machine would live on is because that would not be affected by the um, the, virus, the virus the ice9 virus and I loved that idea I was like man that's so obvious I wish I had thought of that because it's, it seems so obvious now that you mentioned that. And it really does seem obvious that, of course, Samaritan would have had its own version, you know, in an air, what's it called? Air what? Air gapped. Air gapped, yeah. 
So, yeah, I was really hoping that what they did at the NSA was going to be destructive ultimately for the for Samaritan, but yet not for the machine because of what we knew existed back in the in the subway car. But of course, Greer was smart enough to have his own backup plan too, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. Brian Owen in the chat room says he called Shaw Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes, indeed. And that's yeah, that was his. Well, I maybe he definitely called Root Cocoa Puffs, but I mean those Cocoa those Puffs. types of things, those types of names, he he always called Root. I don't remember him referring to Shaw that way, but she is talking to herself, and well, he knows why they all talk to themselves. So I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we I, I loved Harold's uh, little entrance into the Federal Reserve. You know, I have a thermonuclear bomb here. <laughs> you have a son named Joan and a wife named such and such, and they live in wherever, and they're within the blast radius. Yeah, and this is this is the Harold we've come to know, which is why when he laughs and you know gets very upset, and it's so obvious, it is so non not Harold or not the Harold that we have um, come to know and expect so he's and they're certainly within blast radius so if you would evacuate the building and call the fbi i would appreciate it thank you and it's oh and that little thing on my wrist will you know blow it up if you you know shoot me yep and uh, a nice little uh this is the product placement for fitbit <laughs> it was and it was it was uh he's really he's become really good at threatening people's children in order to manipulate them into getting yes. what he wants. This is the second time in like three episodes that he's done that. And Reese is <laughs> I like Reese's line. You know, this terrifies me, Harold, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kinda of, this is this is the Harold I wish I'd been working for all this time. Thank you. Oh yeah. man! Another thing that kind of came out of nowhere was uh, Harold's no um, Reese's knockout gas, but I mean they were both carrying a case, you know, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But it did yeah, seem I guess you know, this is something they had, they knew was going to be they were going to be using. I guess I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah, they both had a case so that that had to have been planned beforehand. Yes, and I'm sure the machine told him to do that but we didn't see that and so again yeah. a lot of this stuff is just kind of getting put together so much to do in so little time but i love once they get down to the where samaritan is is hiding out back down in the vault and the the machine opens up the vault for them and the machine turns off the alarms for them and uh harold starts getting to work now this is where he gets shot and i mentioned earlier you know the uh the reaction that he had um <laughs> and Reese is runs out of again convenient. Reese runs out of bullets at the same time. The the adversary runs out of bullets. Yeah, that was really uh, yeah. Okay. How convenient yeah, right. was that? You know, but it's TV. They always have enough bullets until you don't need them to have bullets, and then they run out of bullets. So, <laughs> but this is my second favorite joke of the. My favorite joke was if we were dealing with donuts and cardboard cutouts, you'd be in charge. My second favorite joke was when he. He took the gold bar and knocked the guy upside the head and said he had the Midas touch. I mean, come on. In the writer's room, I mean, it's like, that's totally a dad joke, but that's probably why I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. You know, like in the writer's room, I'm sure whoever came up with that was like, you know, that's right. That's right. That's, that's going in. That's going in. And it's- that is comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug. So I like that joke. It, it, uh, it was a good oh, one for yes, me. Indeed. 
Yeah. I missed that the first time. My son started laughing. I said, what did he say? I was typing something. I was, you know, the first time through, I, I make all these really detailed notes because I'm trying to remember everything that goes by because I know I'm not going to remember it. I don't. And I'm typing away and he said the line and my, my son laughed and I'm like, what, what, what did he say? He said Midas touch. And I thought my son was making the joke. But no, yes. Yeah. That was great. Very nice. <laughs> now at the mean in the meantime well no, actually let's let's stick stick with this for now. Okay. We get uh we get the virus installed, but Samaritan is scurrying around like a bunch of cockroaches. And um one cockroach goes into space. I never thought I'd say that line. <laughs> And uh, so the phone rings there, classic, because it, it can't, you know, use the the implants or the ear things they have, That's so it right. uses the phone, yep. of course, and uh, lets them know that the uh, it's it's going up to the satellite and will destroy the building that has the that has the antenna on it. So it's whoever goes up there to upload the software to the machine software up to the satellite, it's going to be a suicide mission. So. And this is another one of those great, we've had some great, you know, moments, emotional moments here that have taken some time, mm. you know, with, with the machine and Finch, Grace and Finch. And now we're going to get a very short emotional moment, but nonetheless, as uh, not, as powerful as the other ones. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so powerful when, when Finch... Tells Reese to gather the weapons, which is just a distraction, so he can lock him into the vault. And man, we we gave kudos to Jim Caviezel last week for, or maybe two weeks ago, for his great work. But this scene was so powerful, wasn't it? I mean, when you think about where their relationship started, and if you go back and watch, I watched just like I said a little bit of the pilot today, and. You know, when when Harold, they meet under the bridge and, the, and and have their discussion, Reese wants none of it, finally convinces him, to, and they, I don't want to say too much, because we're going to talk about the tape recorder, and when we talk about the tape recorder, we'll kind of fill in this gap here, but then he brings him to the library, and, you know, it's just, it's just neat, and he was, he was just hired as an employee, but he was also, I mean, he was in a dark place, Reese yeah, was, you yeah. know? And to see, he had, a, he had a particular set of skills. That's right. To see this scene come full circle to where they're at, they are more than employee employer. They are deep, trusted, genuine friends, and brothers. And what you know, the way Reese says it, the look on his face. Uh, we don't. We the man who whispers is yelling with everything he has. Yes, for Finch yes. to not do this, and it was powerful. It was wonderful. You're right. It was very short, but it didn't need to be any longer. It was perfect. No. And, you know, you mentioned you know the man who whispers. I go go back to, and I forget which. Um, it was last season. I remember the uh, when we talked about this. It was the uh, uh, the number was a guy who fancied himself a you know detective. a detective and whatnot. Yeah. It was kind of the Walter Mitty yep. character type. Yep. And when he hears Reese talk for the first time, he says, how do you get your do voice that? to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and Reese says, do what? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Now, here's, if you go back just before this, you see Reese messing with the briefcases. 
So he's clearly switching them. We get with that. We uh, this pays off later. Yeah, he's switching them so he has the the actual uh, code to upload, and he's giving uh, Finch an empty case. Okay, I wondered when so, the switcheroo happened. I completely missed that, and I watched the episode three times. <laughs> well, I had my son again watching with me uh, the first, uh, both times, and he said, "Look, he's doing that right there. Go back, go back." You know, and he, he sees. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so. At the time, we are, you know, I have to really watch this twice to catch all of this. So, at the time, we are, you know, seeing the emotion there. But I think at the same time, now that we know that he had swapped the cases and knew Harold was not going to be on the right rooftop, and he was, and and Reese himself was going to be there and was going to get out, that was kind of his goodbye, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's all he could do. He could, you know... Show his concern. He knew that Harold was safe. At that moment, he already knew Harold was not going to die. He, knew, or at least, um, you know, he's not going to be on the suicide mission. But that was still kind of a, you know, a shout of concern, nonetheless. So um, it adds a adds a little dimension to it once you uh, realize that that has happened already. So yeah, that was that was really good, really good. And I, like you said, didn't need to be. It had been longer, it had been modeling, and then, you know, you know, sappy and stuff like that. It was a really good um, way to, uh, for these to, these two guys um, who, like you said, were employee-employer and have become so close since then to say goodbye face-to-face. It would be at a much larger distance, you know, the next time. But, you know, right up close, this was good. This was good. Yeah, and I'm just re-watching that scene now, and it's subtle, but you're right. It's clear that Reese has got his hands on the two cases. He's Yeah, you don't see him, like, physically moving anything, but he's... He's, he's messing with them. He's yeah. fiddling with them, yeah. Yeah. Gas now, good catch. That, yeah. Another thing, um, my son... And my son was catching all that. I wish he'd been here the whole season, but <laughs> he gathered the weapons. Okay, one of them, at least one of them, was a high-powered rifle. And I don't know my guns, you know, AR-15, whatever. But it's a, it's one of these high-powered rifles. When he's on the roof, he didn't have that. Could have used it, you know. But um, but yeah, that that that's one of those little uh, I think a continuity issue. Because mm. um, he picked one up, put it over his shoulder, and then when he's on the roof, he doesn't have it. So anyway, maybe it was just too cumbersome. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Well, let's go back to uh, the other half of the team because they've been busy too. Yeah. And they are, you know, basically defending the machine from the more Samaritan goons. They're just all over the place here. Well, yeah, this is our painter guy and an unknown yes. guy, right? So this was really cool because we see the explosives come into play. Uh, Fusco wires up the uh, the wall and we see them working together. We don't really get to see Fusco and Shaw working together. No, he's mostly been, you know, you know, making cracking jokes with them at least. But, but you know, yeah. to have those two actually, uh, it, it's it's the odd couple of defense. When we when we think about how the dust settled on this show, you know, they both obviously know each other are still out there. They don't know mm-hmm. if Reese and Finch are still out there. We know the fate of Reese. We don't know. We 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 know the fate of both of them. I guess I should say we we know that it's possible that there could be a scenario where they could reunite with Finch. Obviously Reese is not going to happen, but at the end it's only them too. And so it was kind of, mm-hmm. when you think about that and you see how they worked together here 
and she kind of got a deeper respect for him as their little mission went on, it kind of makes you wonder, hey, what what might be happening at the end of this story down the road with with these two characters? So this was kind of nice to get a little insight into how they might work together. Uh, when Even if it's just left up to fan fiction from here on out, this kind of gave us some some inspiration for how that might play out. Yeah, and so they actually, and this is one of those things that I guess is, if you're going to, if you're going to show a gun in scene one, you got to use it in scene four. Yep. If you show a subway car in episode one, you've got to travel in it at some point. And this, you know, the end is a good as as a good a time as any to get it cranking, power up the third rail, get it moving, and uh, in this case, uh, looks like uh, Jeff. Kind of jumped on the car before it got moving. Yeah, we see him take off running. So when he shows up where he caught up with it, it's no surprise because it was a pretty slow start for the car. So yeah, we get them them moving. We get uh, Jeff Greenfield coming in and they do manage to take him down, though he does get a shot off at uh, at, uh, Shaw. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, she's having none of that, let me tell you right now. So they get him off uh, in the side there and then they go to the next station. If this is... You know, I wonder what the next station is. I was expecting a whole bunch of people going, this ain't my train. What's this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it must be another unused um, Interboro Rapid Transit uh, station. And uh, so they get off. Nobody's there. But um, as they're getting off uh, Greenfield, you know, knives, it gives a knife to the gut to um, Fusco. To Fusco. And he gets, he gets, he takes off and. So that makes it a little harder to make their escape, but he takes off, and that's the last we see him until a little bit later. Yeah, there was a a preview or something that got released. Uh, the I saw it the day of. Fortunately, it was just a couple of hours beforehand, and it was way too spoilery. I wished after after I watched it, I wished I hadn't seen it. But it it showed um, Reese. Locked up in, I couldn't tell if it was a vault. Had I gone back and rewatched it, I probably could have. I just saw that he was behind some bars, uh, bars of doors some of some sort, yelling for Finch. But in that, we also saw Finch, uh, Fusco, with a gut wound. And I thought it was a bullet wound. So when the bullets start flying there, when, when they're trying to blow the wall and get away, I thought he was going to take one then. And then when Jeff jumps on the train, I thought, okay, well, this is when he takes the bullet. And it never did, never did. Well, finally, we see it's a stab wound that he gets, not not a not a bullet. But yeah, that that preview was way too spoilery for for me. Although it still left me guessing, obviously, um, how yeah. that all happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he got the. Uh, I think he got two stab wounds. Didn't he go getting the double shank with the knife? I don't recall. Yeah. Either way, so watch it again. Oh my goodness. There you go. Have to but Shaw again. does make the connection here that the same bullets, kind of bullets that he's carrying around, are the kind that uh, that yeah. Root took, and um, the machine is like, now is not the time. We do not have time for that. Yep. But you, at least she gets that information, and he's not speaking, and so that's kind of a that's her. Um, it's it, you know, not speaking is speaking in this case. You know, you didn't admit to it, but you're looking at me like you did it. Yeah, he yeah. definitely has that that guilty look, and it's a specialty round. Which again, this is a TV trope. You know, the the 
the cop shows are all full of this. Oh, it, he had some special dirt on his shoes, and that's only found in this one place, and you know, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. This is a specialty bullet, and it's not very common, so you must be the one that killed Root. And I get a little tired of these because they are tropey, but I think shows can do better than this. Maybe there was another way they could have made it so that she realized that Jeff was the um, the one who killed Root, but oh well. I love the next yeah. the the next conversation though that the machine has with um, with Shaw where she reveals because it goes back to that scene in episode ten when they're taking when Root's just having this incredibly long conversation while they're in a, under heavy gunfire from Samaritan. Yeah, they're on a firefight. Come on, yeah. And she's talking about shapes and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. she says, mm-hmm. you know, Root would want to say that your lack of emotions made you beautiful and that if you were a shape, you'd be a straight line, an arrow. And that was powerful. I mean, it was so cool because, I mean, think about it, Doug. All her life, she has felt like she is an abnormality, that there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with her and that she's not normal. And she's not normal but that doesn't mean something's wrong with her, right? And yeah, so yeah, there's a there's a difference. There's a difference. Root had that ability to to see that difference and to love Shaw. Not, I was gonna say in spite of that or through that. That's no, that's not it at all. She loved that of part of Shaw. She loved mm-hmm, the fullness mm-hmm. of who Shaw was, and um, and to be able to express it here, uh, to be honest with you, I think it meant more to Shaw. After in this moment, after Root was dead, than it would have if Shaw would have or Root would have told her during the middle of that that firefight that they had. Well, I got to tell you, um, that conversation, that part of the conversation they were having, I thought was like, "What the heck are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it was it was just a little too, you know, metaphysical hippie ish, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, shapes, sure, man, whatever colors and ooh, but. But then to pay it off here, that was good. I really did, uh, really did appreciate that because that kind of does uh, express who Shaw really is. You know, she's you know she's a straight line. She is not pulled to one side or the other by emotion. She gets the job done. Sometimes that is not in a good way, but when she is on the right path. She does not stray from that path. Yeah, and uh, I, I I like that. Uh, I li- I liked how that conversation paid off here because otherwise that'd have been what the heck was that? That was good. That was good. that was so good. It, was, it paid off. I didn't. I thought we'd seen the last of that conversation. I didn't think there was going to be anything more to it. So when they brought it back here, major payoff. Uh, all the feels. I mean, Shaw tears up, and that yes. it, you know she didn't overplay it. She played it exactly how. Shaw would have. I mean, Sarah did a great job here, and so it was such a such a good scene. It was. Very, it was a good powerful. shot too because it's from behind. You don't yeah. see anything. You kind of see her, you know, move her hands in such a way that maybe she's wiping a tear, and then you know a little bit of the face coming around. So it was a it was a combination of acting and great and a great shot there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I really liked it. Wow. Yeah, very very. Again, powerful. they're 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 working the emotions here. There is a little bit of action, a lot of good action, but this is where these all these things really have to pay off. Not in you know bullets and cars. This is this is the heart of the the, the series here. Yep. 
Let me go back to the rooftop. And one thing I want to mention, um, well, because uh, we've, we've gone through a few of these rooftop scenes and I, I keep thinking I'm going to work it in and I just, I haven't, but I want to just acknowledge how, how glad I am that they gave Amy the screen time that they did in this episode. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have done that if this had been a season finale. Um, they, they didn't know it was going to be a series finale, but they sure planned as if it would be. I think they, they, their gut told them that it would be. And, and they earned it because we've seen for three episodes now, Amy being the voice of the machine or Root being the voice of the machine. So to have, and, and, and then also to kind of earn it because Harold is dying. He's bleeding out. It would make sense that maybe he's, he sees something, he sees something yeah. you know, as he's in this weird state that you're in when, when your body's in such a, a trauma like that. And so, um, it was perfect. It worked out great. It gave Amy some more screen time, which she obviously deserves. Uh, it gave, so it gave a little bit of candy to the, uh, to the, I don't mean eye candy like that. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was a dessert. It was a reward. It was, it was a bonus, you know? I mean, that's what it was for, for all of us fans who love her so much. And, and it worked great into the episode too. It made it more dramatic. It made it more substantive. It, it was, it was great. It didn't seem, it didn't seem sappy. It didn't seem not at all. overdone. No, no, not at all. It was great. It was perfect. I'm so glad they made that choice. So okay, we're back at the uh, we're back on the the rooftop, and it's then that well we get a little bit of the uh, I guess the Samaritan eye view where we see it's uh, uploading itself to a to the satellite. It takes over launching a cruise missile mm-hmm. from a destroyer. I don't know. I'm not a navy guy. I'm not a boat guy. I, don't I was know thinking it was a sub, that. but I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. It, whatever it was, I thought it was. I thought it was on the water. I don't know if it was a cruiser, destroyer, or okay. what, but it yep. was something. You're probably something right. Something nautical. There you are. There you go. Yes. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, it's that. It's at that point that, that uh, now, again, I can understand that in his state of having been shot, oh, that he might not have recognized it at the beginning, but he now realizes, wait a minute, the antenna's on this building can't do that yeah can't talk to that satellite and then hello poking over the top there there's reese yeah with another case and harold realizes he's been duped by the machine but he is in i like what i like the way they put it this is this is the wrong building but you're in the right place you're in the right place yeah yeah and this is where reese is going to pay it off all at once and uh, and that, that, I mean, talk about payoff. Understanding where this is going and how it winds up, this is about as good a payoff as you could uh, expect. Um, the bad guy, so to speak, the bad ASI is gone. The, the and what Reese is doing is going to save the good one. And so, yeah, this is this is a payoff. That that was you know, again great. And it's and not just a case of sending the info to the satellite. But he's got to hang on there uh, to uh, to defend it from the Samaritan goons who are trying to you know shoot it up so it doesn't finish its transmission. But then he tells he realizes what's going to happen. He tells Harold, "That's what I do. You gave me a job, uh, a purpose. That's 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 his purpose to defend this machine, to do you know to save these lives, 
and and uh, like I said, been trying uh, to save the world for so long that one life at a time seemed anticlimactic. And I thought that was a very interesting insight because it's it sounds like that for part of this show, Reese has not really had his heart into it. Um, not until he kind of got the bigger, bigger picture, and he didn't have that all the way through. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he'd been trying to save the world for so long, one life at a time seemed anticlimactic. But sometimes uh, the one life is the right life. And really, uh, he, what he's been doing is really been saving the right life all this time. Um, this particular life, Harold's, uh, means a lot more to him. But yeah, it's. I think they all they all are. I think he finally realized that at the end. Well, and that is the show. You know, the mm-hmm. the machine is the individualized version of Northern Lights. Northern Lights is saving the world. The machine is saving the world one irrelevant person at a time. And but I think more so than that, and, and it's it's obvious here that. He's also talking about the very tangible thing of saving one person's life in that moment, and that person is Finch. And, you know, Finch tried to save his life earlier by locking him in, locking him in the vault. Here he's laying... And he saved his life in the season premiere, series, yeah. the series premiere. That's, you know? that's right. That's right. And now he's paying it back. And it's, it's a beautiful bookend to this. I mean, this is so well done. I mean, Reese went out a hero. There's no question. And that ties into what we see in his flashbacks with his dad and that what that man behind him said. This man was a hero. And he mm-hmm. wanted to be something, I don't know. Did he want to be something his dad would be proud of? Did he want to be like his dad? I don't know. Maybe all of those, maybe something a little bit different. But the idea is, is clear. That his dad died a hero and he thought that might be a good way to die too. And um, it was beautiful. It was so good. And it was incredibly, incredibly sad as we see Reese being able to take out a couple of the guys here, a couple of the guys here. But eventually he gets shot in the gut. And then when those three guys come in and as it goes, you know, kind of the wide view, you see his chest just go to red as as they spray him with with bullets. Mm -hmm. Man, I was... I was uh, a little verklempt, Doug. It was it was hard to watch. And and um, Karen Lindsay in the chat room said, "If you go and if you go all the way back to Reese's father, mm-hmm. his father showed his son how to be a hero, which saved all these other people, mm-hmm. the numbers, mm. the you know the folks on the team machine, and ultimately whomever the machine in its final form uh, saves as well. So yeah, this this you know you can, you can go back." Uh, few steps but that feeling of a hero his father had no idea what his what his actions might uh, might do later on all he knew is right then this yeah. is what i need to do it is the right thing and and i need to do it so uh, you point. never know what your impact is going to be uh, but you just uh, you just do the right thing as the time as the opportunities uh, arise and um and and this show has been like you said uh, all about that doing the right thing each each time all the way through and um Ultimately, we get a we get a good ending. Yeah, we did get a good a good interesting piece here as the machine finally remembers that that answer yes. to life that she had been struggling with the entire episode, and it's that police officer. We've kind of seen them 
um, we we have seen the these are the same police officers we saw standing over the man on the road, right? Is that right? Or is it different police officers? It looked familiar, yeah. yeah. And maybe that was the point of of that that whole scene was just just to kind of bring introduce these two police officers into the story. Ah, uh, because that's the that's the person whose uh, wife and child he was going to visit. Maybe that's it. Oh, maybe it is. You know, <laughs> it probably is. This whole time, until you just said that, I was thinking they were they were delivering death news of a fellow officer. But I bet you're right. They were delivering. That's uh, that's yeah. it. Because the kid was riding a tricycle that had a bow on it. Those presents were for his kid. Oh, oh, wow! This whole okay, time, every right. every time I watched that scene of them going to that house, I was thinking they were delivering news of a, of an officer who died on in the line of duty. And uh, that's often what you see is another officer do that. Yes, yes. At all, okay, okay. That, that all makes sense. We've talked it out. We figured it out. Okay, I'm sure people listening are going, "Come on, guys." Catch up, will yeah. ya? So, um, but but the scene at the bar uh, after they deliver that news, it's really it's a really nice piece of writing. He said, uh, "Everybody dies alone." You know, one the one one officer sitting next to him says, "Everyone dies alone," and the guy says, "That's true. Everybody dies alone." But if you mean something to someone, if you help someone or love someone, even if a single person remembers you, then maybe. You never really died at all. And often when I hear that, um, I, I, uh, the, the, the cynic, no, no, I'm not really that cynical, but I, I think of a line that Woody Allen was, uh, and I think I've mentioned it here even before, um, where somebody asked him, do you think you'll achieve immortality through your films? And he says, well, I'd rather achieve immortality by not dying. Um, so, so this sounds a little like, uh, well, they're not really dead if you remember them. Yeah, that's that. That seems like a a, a nice thing to say to kind of you know help somebody through this. But is that really true? But here's the thing: in a sense, I can I can definitely agree with this because as as I mentioned with what Karen said, Reese's father died, and what happened because he died? All of this happened. All of the show that we've seen happened. And so, essentially, his sacrifice and his willingness to sacrifice lived on through his son. He died. I'm going to say that. He died. His father died. But the impact he had is as though, as, as though he was living on through his son. So, that, um, so like I said, so it, 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 it echoes on. Um, not the life. But certainly the effect, certainly the influence of that person. And so if you mean something to someone, if you help someone, if you love someone, and if just one person remembers you, and I'm going to add, and remembers the good that you did, then maybe you never really died at all. Maybe your influence and your life, so to speak, quote unquote, you know, moves on uh, to the next generation or not even next generation doesn't have to be you know, um, a family thing. Um, it, it's, uh, it's as in the case of, uh, um, Reese's father, his sacrifice meant something to all of these people, whether they knew it or not. So yeah, I, I, I really do in the, in, in that sort of sense, I really do like this, uh, this idea here and it really does work for, um, for the show. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was fantastic. But at the same time, 
we get commercial there, right? We get that from Root, where she talks about the meaning of, of life slash death. Root, or Root, Reese sacrificing himself and then goes to commercial. And I'm, I think the missile hits at that time and then goes to commercial. And I'm just like, I wrote this in the notes. I feel so sad. <laughs> I need this last segment to give me some hope. And I mean, I felt that way. Like, the, even in the opening scene, I think I wrote something then, like, or the opening segment after the first commercial, I wrote something like, you know, I need, I'm not filled with hope. I need some unicorns and rainbows. I'm not getting <laughs> that. You know, I'm worried. I mean, I, I expect, look, we, we knew that it was supposed to be a bloodbath. So I didn't expect the episode to be all happy and, you know, neat little bow tie. But I, I don't know what I expected, but I was just like so dark and heavy. And even up to this point, here we are, like 10 minutes left in the episode at this point. And it's been nothing but death and destruction and loss and it's heavy. And I'm just like, I don't know. This is not what I wanted the final episode to be like. They've got 10 minutes to turn this thing around. (laughs) Can they do it? Boy, they know how to do it, don't they? They sure do. They sure do. (laughs) So let's talk about these uh, last 10 minutes. We get back from commercial there's a Senate meeting, right? We've seen that. What's it? Uh, Senator, um, I had a trouble oh. with remembering his name last week, too. Uh, yeah, it's such a B, I think. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking G. <laughs> 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 They'll tell the us Senator. in the chat room. They'll correct us here. Yeah, they will. Is it Garrison? Is, is it- oh, oh, you may be right. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, they'll, they'll tell us in a minute. So, yeah, he tries to say it's of Chinese origin, and the lady is having none of it. She's like, whatever. You know this wasn't Chinese origin. It was your little Northern Lights thing that you were had. Well, the Chi- it's interesting because China, the Chinese kind of um, figured into this way early on. I think maybe second season when we first see Greer, uh, they're selling a laptop that Harold had some code on to the Chinese. Uh, yeah. Way back in the day, when we fir- like I said, we saw Greer once or twice here and there, and I think they so so. I was thinking, oh, maybe they can uh, maybe they can pawn that off on them, and it's like no, buddy, no Northern Lights. And we hear it is off the books. It is not just off the books. It is shut down. Yeah. Everybody's permanently reassigned, um, which is a good thing, I guess. All right. So there's, I mean, so there is no more official, there's no more relevant numbers coming out. Right. Um, in terms of trying to find um, people who are, uh, you know, terrorism, stop terrorism. And all those people have been permanently reassigned, including Jeff Bagwell. Wonderful Jeff Greenfield. Greenfield. Yeah. Who's Bagwell? Is that a pitcher? That's not like a baseball pitcher. Anyway, Jeff. You know, what's, <laughs> what, what, what caught me is interesting here is, in my mind, I still think of Northern Lights as the machine version, or the government version of the machine. Mm-hmm. But from the government's point of view, Northern Lights is the project. It was yes. the machine, and then it became Samaritan, and it was all the same. Northern Lights is all of that to them. And that's so when they're referring to Northern Lights being offline here, they really are talking about everything. The whole thing is is shut down. And based on the information we got last week in those flashbacks, you know, we the the flashbacks were kind of a mixed bag. Some of the the viewers liked them, and some people felt like they were an irrelevant waste of time. But there's a payoff right here in this scene when we realize that Samaritan. Northern Lights, which is now Samaritan as far as the government's concerned, is shut down. Now, the machine does do a little reboot thing here at the end, but 
It's still down, too. Now, it may come back up. But in those simulations that we saw last week, what we learned was that without the machine or with the machine, the world is really not that big, d- different of a place because there's so much coming in. It, it was just a flood. It was trying to drink from a fire hose. It, it wasn't. It didn't do what they hoped that it would do. But with Samaritan, the world is a worse place. And so this was great to kind of get a, another payoff here to say Samaritan is shut down. Samaritan is gone. And even though there's a glimmer of hope that the machine is back, that's okay. And if the machine's not back, that's okay too, because the world is fine with or without the machine, but it's not fine with Samaritan. And so this was, I don't know, I liked i liked just a little bit of the dialogue here that kind of reflected back into that with, with the, I felt like a pretty significant payoff in us, us knowing, having some closure here, knowing that it's okay that that um that these machines got wiped out we uh it, it, if life without the machine would have meant a samaritan an ongoing samaritan versus uh with the machine at least you know uh taking them both out yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no i like those uh those uh it's a wonderful life yeah sh- uh, you know shots last week that that was re- i that was really fantastic yeah, but yeah, there is there's some you know some individual payoff here that we need to uh, we need to acknowledge, yes, including Jeff. <laughs> yes, well, good old, good old Shaw tracks him down again. Yes, indeedy, and is you know knows that I and I'm wondering if the uh, machine actually uh, told her finally that she just wasn't going by the fact that he had a particular set of bullets. So she now it's interesting. She does say. I would have killed you on the spot, but after, you know, some people, after being exposed to some people, I was taught the value of life. But they're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) Did you wonder if she was going to let him live? Yes, they Uh, really had me thinking. I know. I was like, really? Is she going to let him walk away? she going to kneecap him? No. So he he can't run around as much? I don't know. She chest Yeah, I I, I thought. Now, and I understand, and there were some folks um, in the Facebook group, a lot of Activity in the Facebook group uh, yep. since the uh, finale. Yep, that that didn't like that, and I understand that. Sure, you know if you if you were taught the value of life, then why are you doing this? Right. Um, and I I I understand that completely. Um, at the same time, from a storytelling uh, point of view, from the and from the point of view of the storytellers, um, I can see where this is. Uh, the guy getting his just desserts. This is what he did deserve. At the end, he never disavowed any of the things he'd done. You screwed up is his is his uh, claim. You, I was working for the good, and you, no, 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 no. And so it it seems pretty clear that this guy could be very easily manipulated into whatever else the next you know big bad thing to come across would be. And he didn't really show remorse. He was like, "Hey, it was no. just a job." And that's that's not remorse. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. You know, that's just passing the blame and and wow. not not taking responsibility for your actions. So, yeah. Now I, I'm with you though. I can see why some people were like, "Oh man, she said she saw the value of life, and the other people wouldn't have killed him, but then she did." So is she really that different? Um, yeah, she is. But I think she also felt like there was a need for justice in this situation, and she was going to be the one to deliver that. And not wait. And, until and he the met other his thing too maker. is is could this be something of a? I mean, not all our characters are you know perfectly good, and maybe this is the the one little character flaw here mm-hmm. that 
we have seen, you know, all along. And so the, this kind of is in character yep. for, for the for character. Sure. Absolutely. You know, yeah. For what we've seen her do. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, you know, as much as I'd like to everybody, you know, unicorns and rainbows, but, you know, life is not always that, uh, that wonderful. And we did see the body drop. He looked pretty dead to me, looked pretty lifeless. So, you know, there's been some ambiguity, control being mm-hmm. one of them. Um, I'm going to make a note here. I don't want to forget. We are going to talk about control because there was some, a great um, interview that came out this week about control or she was yes. mentioned. So I'm putting that in bold right there. All right. The next thing we get is the scene I mentioned earlier with Fusco in the in the cafe eating a hamburger and some fries trying to get a refill on his coffee <laughs> uh shaw walks in f- after having freshly killed jeff and now she wants bear um did it feel right for you for um uh, for bear to go with shaw and not stay with fusco yes yeah no question I, yeah oh yeah she she's been much more uh attuned not attuned but you know around him really you know yeah. she's helped with you know take care of him when he's and, uh, you know, I think there were a couple of times when she was kind of um, just, you know, confined to quarters, essentially. And Bear was kind of her only yeah. uh, her friend, her only her, companion. Yeah, companion. Yeah, no Last week, when she finally made it back down to the subway, Bear almost tackled her. <laughs> and when I saw that and I was trying to put together my predictions on what would happen in the finale, I mean, that was one of the predictions I did get right was that Bear and Shaw would walk off into the sunset together. Because they just seemed perfect for each other. And that, I mean, everyone loved Bear. Bear seemed to love everyone else. But he, you're right. I mean, they shared some time in that subway station, just the two of them. And so that was great to see that happen. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, it makes sense. Those two got to hang out together. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Final um, penultimate scene. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I got that word in again. Gotta do it, yes. Thank you very much. Penultimate scene. Um, down in the subway, the phone rings. The recorder starts recording. Now, this recorder, and who is it that has been very good about this? Um, it's Brian. Yeah, yeah. Brian Owen has been really good about tracking the recorder. I had forgotten oh, yes. about the recorder. I went, and that was what led me to go back and rewatch the pilot. And sure enough, there it is in the pilot episode, this very really? same recorder. What happened was when, when Reese turned down Finch's initial offer, he went to go drink himself and to, to sleep. He was in his hotel room, which I thought was weird because I don't know how he paid for the hotel. I don't know. Because I, 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 I wasn't listening. I was trying to make notes on this while having that on mute until we got to the tape recorder scene. So I don't know what the dialogue was. But anyway... Uh, while Reese is passed out drunk, Finch or one of his guys goes in and straps uh, Finch, Reese to the bed like a like a zip tie thing, and then he calls. And the, when morning comes, wakes him up with a phone call and says, "You know, you you want to know what it sounds like when you can't save someone who's being murdered?" And he hangs up the phone. And then from the next room, Reese hears a woman getting attacked, things breaking, and she's crying out for help. And he breaks the mirror, grabs a shard of glass, cuts the strap, breaks through the doors, and it turns out it's not a woman being attacked. It's a recording of a woman being attacked. She was killed in that same hotel room like three years prior. 
and no one was there to save her. But all of that audio is coming from the tape recorder. It's being pumped into a speaker that Finch has right there. So that tape recorder is what really was the linchpin in getting Reese to join Team Machine. So Interesting. Yeah, and I don't know if it ever came back into play any more than that. Um, but thanks to Brian for remembering that that tape recorder had already played a significant role in this uh, story. And here it is coming back again. Uh, very prominently here in this episode and kind of, I guess, in a way, this season because it was carrying the voiceover that we've heard mentioned several times now. I guess, the, I, I wonder if the writers watched the pilot again just to see what can we pull in from there, you know, this season. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I hadn't, I clearly had not remembered that. Sometimes I can't remember what happened last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And those episodes watch. I watched, I think most of the first season I've only watched one time because we weren't podcasting about it back then. And so I wasn't really watching it, trying to remember all the details. I was just watching it casually. Yeah, it so, cool, cool show. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned near the top of our show that the tape recorder, starting with the voiceover, and this is how we survived, was then reprogramming or teaching the new version of the machine. And I love that, except that this is an analog tape recorder with a very limited amount of tape that can be on that spool. So how much can it really teach this new machine based on the amount of tape space that it has? That's my only thing because that was my first thought too was oh it's 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 teaching the machine just like harold taught it you know because again it's a very thornhillian thing to do is to make an analog copy and uh-huh. come back into pre-program itself right thornhillian yes. that's right i made up that word um you all knew exactly what i meant though yes i did yeah. um so i don't know i love the idea that it made an analog copy of itself somehow that it could then reprogram itself with but this tape isn't going to be enough so i don't know that's my only thing it, but you get that impression when you see and, and you know a lot of these these little machine the the text that comes up is kind of quick you got to pause and see what's going on and yeah it's mission unknown waiting instructions and then we start hearing the voiceover or we actually start hearing the voiceover a little before that but i think you know i think with the overlay of the two we are to uh, get the idea that this is kind of the instructions. This is the the ethical. I mean, the code is already there, but now we need the teaching. Mm-hmm. And you know how much of the? Like I said how much of that? I guess it's you know hand wave. It'll just you know play for as long as it needs to. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that idea, and it's kind of like the parent teaching the child uh, yeah. kind of thing. And we have a little bit of that with Reese, and it's you know we're kind of paralleling that. Uh, that relationship as well. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah. 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 Brian Owen says very slow speed. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. The next scene takes us to Italy and this was a big payoff. I'm so glad my prediction of Finch being in prison orange jumpsuit was wrong. Um, <laughs> instead he reunites with grace. I had given up hope that this was going to be able to happen. And I'm so glad that I was wrong. Cause this is what all of us wanted to happen for so mm-hmm. long. This is what we wanted to happen. I mean, when they passed each other on the bridge where she got sent to Italy, I mean, that was so heartbreaking. Cause she had no idea that it was like Harold that picked that thing up and handed it to her. And she was right there. She thought he was dead all this time. Um, yeah, this was great. This was so, so good. Somebody in the in, and I can't remember who it is now in the uh, in Facebook group said, you know, maybe it was Zach Chung. I think he said this. He's 
pretended to be dead for three, four, five years. Yeah. And she going to be a little peeved. <laughs> He's got <laughs> some Maybe, but she'll get do, over it. But pardon the pun, she'll extend some grace, I think. But oh, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, indeedy. No, that's so. I mean, that's just the the perfect, the perfect ending, but not the ultimate perfect ending. No, and we've had some great discussion in the in the chat while we've been talking about why wasn't that scene the final scene? Why was uh-huh. Shaw the final scene? And I, I definitely have a thought on that. But there was one more quick scene that we got prior to Shaw. That was a couple of tombstones. Now, the camera stayed on uh, Lawrence Dixon, if memory serves correctly. And so it's like, what does Lawrence Dixon have to do with anything? Who is that? That's not it. This was them playing coy with us again. Just as the, the camera pans and it gets past Lawrence Dixon, it gets to the next tombstone, which is John T.A.L. And it cuts. That's when it goes to Shaw. Yeah. Um. It's it's remember John is supposed to be dead. He has been told that the world has been told that he is dead and people believe that he is dead. Um so that's John's actual uh tombstone. Yeah. Well, he got blown to bits sadly by the missile so that there's not going to be anything to bury but that doesn't mean that there isn't a grave marker marking Already. the life of this great man. And we don't get his last name. We still don't get that. We get T-A-L and the camera cut. So I don't know. what I don't, Talbot yeah, yeah. is a name that comes to mind that, ends, that starts with a T-A-L. I don't know of a whole lot that, that start with T-A-L. Talcum? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I will have a um, screenshot of that in the show notes. I just posted it in the chat room, but if you want to look at it later, mm-hmm. come by the show notes on goldenspiralmedia.com and uh, it'll be there. Yeah. Okay, Doug, take us to the final, final scene. All righty. And we have Shaw with Bear. She's collected her dog. Yeah. And as she passes by the the phone, the the one, I don't know, the last payphone in the world, I don't know, and uh, it rings. Yeah. And she stops. She just kind of catches her, and she turns and picks it up and listens to it, and then we... Get a nice shot of the camera, camera? watching her. Yeah. Very, very pilot episode Yeah. And she kind of turns up and looks at it very John Reesley. I'm making up words here. And hangs up and starts to walk away. She's got that stoic look still, but after a while, she gets a little smile on the corners of that mouth. Yep. And, uh, and as she's walking away, you start seeing little white boxes. One here, one here, one here, one here, one here, one here, and they just keep coming until everybody is being watched. Yeah. One more time. Machines coming and back on. Fade online. to black. Fade to black. Well, yeah. it cuts to black and the, the again, this is the music here is again uh, I don't usually notice it, but man, I was really noticing it here. And there is kind of a final chord, boom, and it goes to black. And it just rings. It for does. A while. It sure did. Yes. Very dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, I love the look. The there was an, in in a different interview I read this week. They the guys talked about this scene with Shaw, and they said they wished they had, they had done this a little bit differently. Um, but basically, what that what that was trying to t- tell us was that Shaw was realizing that 
Root was still kind of out there in a way, and mm-hmm. she was getting the chance to have a relationship with Root in a in a obviously very different way, but mm-hmm. but still like Root wasn't dead, and there was still going to be a way for them to have some sort of relationship. And who knew what the future had in store? And so that was kind of what that that look was for, which is kind of how I interpreted it. But it was certainly ambiguous, and I and I liked the ambiguity of it. You know, Fringe ended with a very ambiguous look from Josh Jackson, well Peter Bishop, and that was that was fun. We all had our own little theories on what that look might have meant, and I mean, he looked <laughs> into the camera even, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was did, fun. Did, does he realize? Does he know? Does he? Yeah, why? exactly. Yeah. Huh? So this was this was a similar feel, like. Um, What's going through her mind? What what was on the what did the machine say to her when the phone rang? Because mm-hmm. we didn't get that. We didn't get to hear that. And so this was this was kind of kind of fun. I, I will say though that the one and I told you this earlier, Doug. This the show left so much open ended stuff that I'm not satisfied. I mean, I wanted there to be some open ended stuff, and frankly, the. DC team we got a few weeks ago would have been enough for me to say, okay, there's hope for more via film, via Netflix, via comic books, via, I don't know, fan fiction. I don't really get into fan fiction because it's not canon, but, you know, I mean, there, that was enough for us to take our imaginations and explore the things. And it could have mm-hmm. just been the machine rebooting, and, and that would have been enough. But then we get this scene where the machine reaches out to Shaw and and she had the interaction with Fusco. We talked about how that, you know, you can kind of go, oh, okay, there's a team there. And it leaves a lot of options for future things, which is great. But at the same time, I'm like, I want that. <laughs> and I'm not going to get that. <laughs> and so I'm not happy. It's a playful not happy. But you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's so wide open. I wanted a little bit more closure. <laughs> yeah, but given that we had to wrap it up quickly and they um – as we said earlier, that CBS didn't even tell them whether this was going to be the last uh, se- the last season or not, and they just assumed it was and went with it and tried to keep things, you know, a little open ended but a good closing. Um, I think that's as good as we could expect, um, given that situation. Unfortunately, yeah. But it was great. I loved it. It was it was very very satisfying. You know, the last 10 minutes, as I said, I, going into it, I thought, how are they going to make me happy here? And look, it was very tragic and sad. We lost Root. We lost John. We lost Elias. Um, we lost the team. You know, I mean, the, it, 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 is Fuss, would, would Finch ever come back? I hope not for his sake. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. And I don't think... I don't think he even knows that the machine is back. I agree, and it's it's no. good that it, he doesn't because then he would he would back. be in the same situation with uh, with Grace. He would yep. not want to you know get her in trouble, keep her in danger. Yep. So he wouldn't have any of that. So the machine had to, you know, keep him in the dark. Yeah. And so it's that's kind of a sad little thing. He doesn't know that his uh, creation actually made it. Yeah, but it's better if he doesn't know. Hmm. So uh, let's talk about control. Um, the one of the interviews I read this week, and this is after the the finale air. They they said were there the interviewer said were there any people that you wanted to bring back? We saw a lot of people come back, but were there some people you didn't want or you wanted to bring back you couldn't work it in? 
and they mentioned Cameron Mannheim and how it would have been great to bring her back. Well, that doesn't mean she's alive because you could bring her back in flashback, right? Um, mm-hmm. They said that it was definitely left open-ended for interpretation as to whether or not she was alive. So with us assuming that she is alive... For purposes of the contest. For purposes of the contest, yeah. Um, I got to tell you, Doug, after reading that interview, I I don't have the quote. I probably should have had it prepared. Um, But they... I I, have it for you. I actually do have it in here. Oh, sweet. Because I got the impression after reading that that she is alive. So, yeah, read it to us, man. All righty. This is from an interview that uh, was done with with the showrunners. Uh, TV Line. Talking to Greg Plagman and Jonathan Nolan. That's TV it. Line asked, I was going to ask about Control. If you ever considered her fate in flux, or if she was decidedly taken away to be killed in the previous finale? Plagman says, I like for the audience to fill in that blank themselves. And Nolan says, that was, a, that was definitely a storyline we hoped to revisit. Cameron Mannheim is a spectacular actor, and we had so much fun working with her. That was one of the places where we were like, Okay, we've got a version of closure there, and we've got limited real estate, so we've got to concentrate on open storylines. There were so many things we wanted to get to, but with the limit from the network in terms of not being able to do a full serialized season, I'm very proud and very relieved at what this incredible writing staff led by Greg and Denise Tay was able to pull off this season. We've covered a lot of territory. There are so many fun ideas in this show and so many fun things we want to play with, and we have other outlets for that. So that's uh, yeah, that was that. That's kind of the we're not answering that. Yeah, answer. I definitely acknowledge that she was in flux, and you know it would have been easy to say, oh yeah, they let her off to be killed. Um, we thought we made that clear. They didn't. So I say she's alive. <laughs> yeah, let's. So we can bring Cameron back if there's ever a spinoff. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm happy with the finale. Um, it, yeah. I still liked Fringe a little bit better because while it le- to me, Fringe was the perfect balance of bringing closure and yet leaving it open for imagination and possible other canon types of you know official uh, carryings on of the story down the road. To me, this did a really good job of closure, but left a little bit too many things out there for my taste, but just a little. I'm not griping here. It was it was just a little bit. So I, I'm very happy with it, very satisfied with it. And um, but I'm sad because this is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I sat yeah. here in my chair after it was over with, and I'm just like, this was so good, and I am so sad because I don't get any more of this story that I love so much. Well, I like this a lot because I have seen some series finales that I was really. Less than thrilled with. Mm-hmm. Let's put it nicely. Um, some people liked it. Some people hated it. I was not really thrilled with the Lost finale. As great as that show was, and then that, it just didn't, I don't know. And there have been some others that, uh, um, you know, various uh, uh, series that my wife and I have watched, for example. And then um, either the series didn't get picked up again, so you'd get kind of dropped, you know, right at the end there. Um, but to wrap up uh, the storylines and to be true to the to the um, the way this show has been all the way along, it has always been an action adventure type thing, uh, a little sci-fi, and uh, but it was you know a little procedural, but 
but it has been more about the questions raised by the surveillance state, questions raised about, you know, your safety, your security versus your freedom, your you know, privacy. That has always been the case, and they've at- at come at this in a lot of different ways. And the finale did the same thing. Um, more of this finale was about closure with the characters, and they stayed themselves. Although, like I said, Harold, I think, was not necessarily himself as much. I mean, he was a, a lot, most of the way through this he was, but he was in very um, unusual situations. And so to see him kind of get out of his normal um, emotional state, you know, doing things he wouldn't normally do, that made sense. You know, so this is this is a case of, um, of still being true to all the characters. So I liked it. I, I really did like uh, uh, them making this a, a good closure and not everybody, you know, like I said, it was not unicorns and rainbows. Mm-hmm. It was realistic. And I like that. Yep. Indeed. Well, let's give an update to our contest, Doug. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great contest all season long. Um, I guess we did cut, cut it off after season or episode four or six. I don't recall now, which, but we asked you to send in your predictions of who would live and who would die at the end of the season. And then, and then for tiebreaker, we asked you to send in what episode you thought that they would die in. And then based on how far off you were on that, it was a point deduction per episode that you were off. Should we need the tiebreaker? But we did not need no. the tiebreaker. We had one genius who correctly predicted all 10 of those. And so just to confirm here, um, let me find the one who got them all right. Okay, Greer, dead. Control. Alive. Remember, we said if we don't get it confirmed either way, we're going alive. So alive. Bear, alive. Fusco, alive. Reese, dead. Finch, alive. Shaw, alive. Root, dead. Samaritan, dead. Machine, alive. Um, And so the person who got all 10 of those, the only one they got wrong at all was Root. They predicted Root would die in uh, episode 13 and she died in episode three. So they, they would have had a, uh, uh, yep. Sorry. Episode 10, they would have had a three point deduction had the tiebreaker come into play, but they were the only one that got all 10. So it didn't come into play. And so congratulations to Mitchell Burgess, Mitchell Burgess, our winner. So Mitchell contact us. Uh, You can do it via the Facebook page. Although I don't, I don't think you're on the Facebook page. You can email us. You've got that email address. And let us know a couple of things. Do you want DVD or Blu-ray? Uh, I guess three things. DVD or Blu-ray. What season do you want? And where do you want us to ship it to? And we'll get it shipped off. If you want season five, then we'll have to wait until July 19th when it comes out. But otherwise, we'll get that ordered this week and get it headed off your way. So congratulations to you. By the way, there was, there was a, a tie for second. And they still a tie for second after the tiebreakers. Yeah, really, an absolute tie. Wow. Yeah, uh, that would have gone to Jeff Childs, who correctly predicted nine out of ten. He was off by with Greer by one, and off on route by two for a total of three point deduction. And he also predicted Shaw to be dead. Um. Uh, that's true. That's true. So wait, is that right? So did I miscount that? No, no, that's right. Okay. It's nine because the, the Shaw prediction was wrong. Oh, that's and the only one he got wrong. Of the ones he got yeah. right, 
He is uh, off by three. That's right. So that one he got wrong. You're right. Was Shaw, and then um, the the other one that tied with that is Bill Bluell. Now remember, he was the one that predicted Root uh, correctly, and the only one that had it uh, correctly. Mm-hmm. But uh, he did miss. Which one did he miss? He missed uh, Fusco. Fusco. Yep. He predicted Fusco would would die in episode ten. Uh, so he was off. Uh, Greer was off by one. Reese was off by one. And Samaritan was off by one episode, but he overall missed the uh, prediction with uh, Fusco. So congratulations uh, for uh, to you guys. Uh, you don't get anything for coming in second or third, but you did good. I came in fourth. You did. You got eight. Uh, you were the lone eight, <laughs> so congratulations to you. And then I got seven. Uh, Andrew Jeeves got seven. Uh, Lim and I's got seven. Zachary Chong got seven. Uh, yeah, and then Barb, I teased her already. She came in dead last with four. <laughs> she always says she's terrible with these sorts of things, and she's right. <laughs> yeah, she proved it once again. Thank uh, thanks to everyone. We love you, Barb. Who, who participated, and thanks, or congratulations again to Mitchell. Send us uh, what you want, where to send it to, and uh, what format you want it in. We'll get it out your way. All right, man. Do you have one more surveillance in the news for us? I do. Actually, I have a couple. I just want, I, I said, I have all these things. Yeah, that uh, people have been sending. So I was trying to blow through a few of them here. Uh, first one here: surveillance in the news. The new way police are surveilling you, calculating your threat score. This is from the Washington Post. It's from January tenth, and I wanted to go ahead and and kick it out here. While officers raced to a recent nine one one call about a man threatening his ex girlfriend, a police operator in headquarters consulted software that scored the suspect's potential for violence. The way. A bank might run a credit report. The program scoured billions of data points, billions, including arrest reports, property records, commercial databases, deep web searches, and the man's social media postings. It calculated his threat level as the highest of three color-coded scores, a bright red warning. The man had a firearm conviction and gang associations, so out of caution, police called a negotiator. The suspect surrendered, and police said the intelligence helped them make the right call. It turned out. He did have a gun. So we have a national database kind of being put, created by the National Security Agency. I wonder if Samaritan's putting this together. Uh, a new generation of technology such as the Beware software being used in Fresno. That's where this uh, happened. This would occurred, this particular uh, uh, incident. It's given local law enforcement officers unprecedented power to peer into the lives of citizens. So again, link will be in the show notes. This is one of those things. It can be, as we saw in this one example, a very helpful bit of information. I mean, it's, this is almost out of, you know, criminal minds or, you know, or person of interest where, you know, somebody's calculating, you know, some, you know, techie over somewhere else is figuring out what's this guy likely to uh, be doing, have on him, that sort of thing. Um, this is something that's been building since September 11th, said Jennifer Lynch, a senior staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and the EFF is a uh, an organization that's uh, trying to protect privacy rights, uh, digital privacy rights. First, funding went to the military to develop this technology, and now it's come back to domestic law enforcement. It's the perfect storm of cheaper and easier-to-use technologies and money from the state and federal governments to purchase it. So there you are. It's, uh, it's a, that's a, that's a, it's a tough call. Should 
the, you know, we talk about after September 11th, especially, well, FBI had all the connect the dots. They had all these dots. They just didn't connect them all. Well, in order to first, in order to connect the dots, you got to have dots. If you're going to look for a needle in a haystack, you got to have a haystack. How far do we want to go? That is a very good question. And this kind of maybe answers uh, or, or, or kind of pushes the needle towards, well, you know, this may not be such a bad idea. It's all a case, I think, in the in the long run of who do you trust? Can you trust uh, the government with this information? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's an open question, I think. Indeed. Okay. And then we have, and this came from Spencer Adkins. By the way, I realized recently that Spencer Adkins is a weather guy. Yeah. He's a meteorologist out in West Virginia somewhere. Hope I didn't blow your cover there, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for meteorologist Spencer Adkins, he sent us something from Information Week. Google developing a panic button to kill rogue AIs. Well. Or you can just, you know, ice nine them. So this starts out with artificial intelligence crossing milestones in its capability to learn rapidly from its environment and beat humans at tasks and games from Jeopardy to the ancient Chinese game of Go. Google is taking proactive steps to ensure that the technology it is creating does not one day turn against humans. And this is a very interesting little thing about, you know, some sort of way to big red button or whatever that might be, a software or hardware thing, to say, you know, this AI is getting out of control, we need to stop it. However, there are issues about, what if the AI knows about the button and can figure out how to disable it? You know, so you've got, oh man, it just, you know, it's, it's, I've got a weapon, and somebody comes up with a counter weapon, and somebody comes up with a counter counter weapon, mm-hmm. you know, and and <laughs> like Hal from uh, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. I finished that, by the way. This oh, the book or the movie? The movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Daryl. I can't do that. So yeah, so that that's a great little article to read. Um, again, link will be in the show notes. Um, but you know, th- there is the question about great if we do have a panic button. What if the AI figures out how to how to stop the panic button? Hmm. Learning is good, you know. So uh, anyway, it's 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 a very tough balancing act once again. So yep. yeah, link in the show notes. I noticed that uh, Spencer did not participate in our Live Another Day contest, uh, and I think I know why. How's that? Well, he's a meteorologist, so they're terrible at predicting things. <laughs> oh no! That's right. I went there. <laughs> all right well we have got a lot of feedback it's no surprise we we got feedback from all corners of the earth and so um i think we should probably um get into that don't you think we've we've covered everything else right we have yeah i skipped ahead a little bit on the on some of the stuff but yeah we've covered that all right well let's get it kicked off with some audio feedbacks and the first one that came in was from Scott. Here he is. Hey, Daryl and Doug and Doug and Daryl. This is Scott from Cape Cod with a few thoughts about the uh, the series finale for Person of Interest called uh, Return Zero, and also a few thoughts about the entire series as a whole. If I were to make a wish list, or if I had made a wish list of things I was looking for in the final episode 
of the what I consider the greatest TV series I've ever seen. All but two were checked off. And one that wasn't was a great final scene for a great heroic character in Reese. I also hoped to see uh, Control back, but oh well. So yes, uh, Reese didn't make it, but he went out happily sacrificing himself, protecting the man who saved his life and gave it purpose. Sad, but great. But other than that, Samaritan was destroyed. Check. Fusco survived. Check. Sean not only survived, but got revenge for Root's death. Check. Finch not only survived, but was reunited with Grace. Check. And best of all, the machine had made a duplicate of of itself, apparently isolated itself from the virus in a satellite, and then rebooted. Check, check, and double check. (laughs) So I watched Person of Interest right from the episode, right from episode one, because I wanted to see what Michael Emerson was up to after his great part in Lost. And how do you like that? He topped it. I can't say enough how awesome this show was, from the concept to the writing to the acting to the respect for the intelligence and attention span of its audience. They continually called back to forgotten previous seasons, even more than once, all the way back to the pilot for crying out loud. Also, making a machine, they they also made a machine a beloved and, dare I say, well-acted character we all thought of as alive. Just fabulous. And the best joke of all was sneaking this magnificent science fiction masterpiece onto CBS in the guise mm-hmm. of one of their precious procedural bore fests. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a virtually, pun intended, perfect show. So in the immortal words of John Locke, we're going to have to watch that again. And remember, if a show is remembered and loved, then it never really dies at all. It never really got canceled. Yes, that is great, Scott. Yeah, that's oh, great man. feedback. Love that. It did, yeah, it hit all the checkboxes. You're right. You know, things that people wanted. That was great. All right, let's move on to our next audio. This one comes in from Barb. Hi, Doug and Daryl, or Daryl and Doug. This is Barb calling in with feedback on our series finale of Person of Interest. I gave this epi 10 boxes of Kleenex, but it could get a 10 of everything. This was one of the most spectacular endings for a show. It gave us humor, tears, closure, an opening for another show, or for fan fiction. It gave us our heroes, and it gave us hope. Everyone involved in bringing this great show to the small screen for the past five seasons should be incredibly proud of the work that they have done. Intelligent writing, fantastic acting, camera shots and music paired beautifully. Always first class. Although I blew my predictions... I think that almost every team member I thought would die lived, and vice versa, other than Bear. Hmm. (coughs) Ben. (coughs) I thought the ending was perfect. (laughs) Harold made a life with Grace, and he never used that gun, which we've been thinking all season that he would. But this kept him in true character. He couldn't hurt anyone. It would haunt him forever. John died a hero, redeemed, with purpose in his life, saving the man who saved him. I can't think of a more fitting TV death if it had to happen. Fusco, our very own Hurley, lived and went back to his life knowing that he had made a difference and that his life was on track thanks to the team. Root, Machine Root, was awesome. I didn't think that we would see Amy Acker again, but we got lots of her on the screen. It was wonderful to see her put her hand on John's shoulder as he defended the machine for the last time 
and watching her also put her hand on child John's shoulder. I think it really showed that the machine would have done anything to protect her assets, which we knew from if then else. But this felt as if the machine understood them as people and understood love. The Kleenex really came flying out of the box when the machine remembered the story that if we help or love or mean something to someone, maybe we don't really die at all. And Shaw, her little smile smirk at the end of the show was perfect. Only she knew the machine still lived, with Root's voice, no doubt, and Root still had her purpose. She would save people carrying on the work of the folks that she cared about with Bear, and with the rest of our machine's recruits, a new generation of protectors. I'll bet there will be some great fan fiction out there for that. Finally, thanks to both of you, Daryl and Doug, for this great podcast. I know it was lots of work, especially this season and it was very much appreciated. This is Barb signing out, unplugging my machine, and heading out to find some donuts and to go shoot some cardboard cutouts. Nice. As long as those cardboard cutouts don't have either my or Doug's face plastered face on, on them, them. <laughs> then uh, have fun. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks, Barb. That was great. That yeah. was great. Yeah, it was. All right. Next one up is Brian. Here he is. This is Brian from Canada. I was trying to think what comments that I wanted to share and feedback regarding the series finale and overall, but there were just too many about characters, actors, plot, innuendo, nuances, and the creators, directors, and writers, not to forget the cast. I chose to take a different direction, away from detail, and eulogize on the finality of the loss of our shared interest, our person of interest. Dearly beloved fans of POI and the GSM POI podcast, we are gathered here this evening in memory of both a fallen hero, John Reese, and another loved one, the show itself. Some of us have embraced this relationship over the last five years, and others a shorter time, but we all share one thing, and that is the love and respect we have for the departed. You have filled our lives for many an evening. Millions have seen you and thousands flock to meet you at many a fandom event. So many have wanted to catch a personal glimpse of your work in New York that sometimes it made it hard to get the job done. Seasons come and seasons go. One thing for certain POI, you were being watched. John and POI, we will miss you. You will not be forgotten. I'm afraid this is where our partnership ends. I'll see you when I see you, not if I see you first. And maybe this isn't the end at all. We should feel proud that we met John and POI. We shared something special and unique. Latoya Ferguson, a journalist with AV Club Online, mused, I look forward to the near future when people will go on about how they just discovered the show. Yeah. That's well said. Very good. I love that. Person of interest, you're being watched. Yeah. But not by nearly enough people, but that's okay. And he's right. People are going to discover this show and realize what a gem they missed. It was it mm-hmm. was a it was a great show. I can I can imagine too that binge watching this will be a whole lot more interesting because you will get to yeah. keep those, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you would miss from one season to the next. Uh, when when they hearken back to stuff, and it'll be li- at least a little more in uh, in your mind. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, Doug, I mean, when I finished Lost and when I finished Fringe, I had a desire to go back and, and see them again. I wasn't done with those shows, although I still haven't done a full series rewatch of Fringe. I, I have a couple of times of Lost. Uh, this one is definitely one that I, I see myself rewatching from start to finish, as soon as I can, you know, as soon as either I get my hands on the DVDs for season five or it shows up in Netflix, 
Um, I'll be rewatching. I can't wait to do that. Actually, first four seasons are on Netflix right now. It'd be great to get That's season right. five. The whole the whole uh, slot, the whole you know slate on there, and that'll be good. Yeah, I'm sure they'll give some time for to try to get as much DVD, you know, physical media sales as they can. But I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see it out on Netflix by the end of the year. But I don't know for sure. That's just me speculating. Which I'm better at than Spencer, if I might add. All right, next one up is I don't know why I'm giving you such a hard time, Spencer. I do it because I like you. So I hope I'm not offending you. I uh, hope I'm not raining, raining on your day. <laughs> see see oh, what I did there. Here's a little sunshine. It's Jess. Hey, this is Jess in Atlanta, and I wanted to call in some quick feedback on the Person of Interest series finale. I know I haven't really been able to participate a lot this show. This has been really hard for me to watch live, and especially in this final season. Um, but uh, glad you guys gave us an extra day to get it in. Hopefully I don't have my weeks mixed up, and this isn't a week late. I don't think it is, but... Anyway, <laughs> I I thought the finale, especially as a series finale, was incredibly well done. And it was, a, while I felt like it was like kind of easy to follow at some points, it was a little hard because you had them going, like starting at one point in time and then flashing back just a couple hours and then they were flashing back, you know, to other points in time and you weren't always being guided by the machine. And so that, uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, but at one point I was convinced everyone was dead. Like I was, I don't know, it was probably like 10 minutes in where they show that mo- the montage of where everybody has ended up. And I was, I was convinced they were all dead by the end of the episode. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised by the ending. I, I thought it was very fitting. I think, unfortunately, to bookend the series, Reese did need to die and he did, but I'm really happy that that Finch got his happy ending and that they didn't kill Fusco and that Shaw made it out alive with Bear, of course. So um, that's really that's really all I had to say. Uh, just thanks for doing the podcast for the last couple seasons, and I'm really sad that this show has to go, but uh, it was great. I loved it. I'll talk to you guys later. Well, thanks, Jess. It's good to hear your voice on this podcast. I've I've missed hearing you. She's called into some of the other ones that I've hosted, and I know she's a big um, contributor to our our Aero Squad podcast. Um, so yeah, good to hear your voice. And you know, as she's talking, Doug, I I I guess you know I I, I didn't mean to come down too hard, and hopefully I didn't on all the loose ends that they left open, and all of them. It wasn't like there was a lot, but mm. to their to their defense, they didn't know 100% that this was going to be the finale. So maybe they left, maybe they would have done things a little bit differently had they known it was going to be the finale. But we're absolutely sure, yeah. But then again, they killed off Reese, and I don't think they would have killed him off had they not had a pretty good idea that it was the finale. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, hopefully I didn't come down too hard because I certainly didn't mean to be. All right, last audio, and then we'll get into our writtens. This one comes in from Chip. Doug and Daryl, Daryl and Doug, I don't care how you slice it. It's still Oscar Meyer to me. What? It's Chip calling from Sunny Pine Shores with, I guess, my farewell to POI, Person of Interest, the series finale. I'll be real brief, guys. I love the finale. Uh, I love the season. I hate that we lost Root. I hate that we lost Reese, of course. Glad to see that Harold might have a chance uh, in Italy with his one true love 
and that Fusco and Shaw will still be out there trying to protect people. And uh, I, I just hate this show is off. I do want to thank Daryl uh, for the opportunity that he gave me and my lovely bride to actually meet and interview some of the folks from the show the last couple of Comic Cons. So thanks to Daryl. Uh, I also want to thank Doug for great stuff, insightful commentary, and love the surveillance in the news segment, dude. You guys rocked. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed your podcast, and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. So this is Chip saying, if there's a man in the suit, has he bought a new car from the profit he's made on your greens? I don't know. Bye, guys. Wow. Well, thank you, Chip. And I, I told Chip today, he, he and I were texting back and forth, and yeah, he got to go to, con- to San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years where I was not able to get a ticket, but I was able to get press access to the person of interest press room. And so him being such good friends of our podcast and being a fellow podcaster, we were able to pass those press credentials on to he and his wife, his, his co-host. And, um, so they got to give us, get us golden spiral media, some content from those, from those two seasons. But that meant they got to meet the cast and crew or cast and producers. And I didn't, so I'm, I'm pretty jealous. He owes me, you owe me chip. You owe me big time. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great little uh, conversation we had. They had an episode on that one, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into the written stuff. What do you say? I say we get to Zach. Zach, baby. I mean, now Zach has been, you know, kind of the low end of some of these. Well, actually, when I say low end, he's low end when we're high end. He's high end when we're low end. Very, It's been very interesting. On oh, and the ratings. ratings, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Zach says, hey, Doug and Daryl, I just want to thank you guys for running this podcast. I like hearing other opinions about the shows I enjoy. Thanks to the Facebook group so we can have a good discussion about POI, and I hope to continue to GSM for some of the other shows I watch. It's been a good show show of a journey we all went on together, and the journey has come to a close. The journey is done. Yes, indeedy. Zach, thanks for, you know, and I, I... I, I don't want to say too much, you know, I don't want to, I'm, I'm talking Zach down. I mean, he has his, what he likes, we have what we like, you know, and, and that's great. And like you said, it's good to hear other opinions about the show. You don't want to make it sound like this is, you know, we're all fanboys and everything's a 10. So, you know, that's, that's good. To, it's good to have uh, everybody on this, uh, on this ride. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And Gary Anchetta wrote in, said, In the end, I think Person of Interest will go down as one of the best post-9-11 stories about America because it tells the story of one of the fundamental truths of a post-9-11 America. As long as no one forgets what happened, those people who died on that day will live on in our hearts. Very nice, yeah. And this this really couldn't have been made pre-9-11, I don't think. Well, no. I mean, the surveillance of of American citizens and the world drastically changed after nine eleven. That's for sure. I mean, the Patriot Act just opened up a whole can of things, and and that have then spiraled, you know, continually outward from there. So, mm-hmm. all because of nine eleven. All righty, uh, another writer, <laughs> Snoop Doug. Love the name. Yeah, it's a terrible name. <laughs> He said, had a thought while catching up on your podcast. When the team was in D.C., I thought it was strange how well-prepared the D.C. team was. Usually, Reese, Shaw, Root, and Finch seemed to be flying by the seat of their pants. Sometimes, I remember plans coming together, but the D.C. team seemed to be fully prepared from the beginning. 
Do you think the machine is now doing a better job at giving out information to the teams? That would have been a great avenue to follow had an offshoot series actually happened. Thanks for a great podcast. So sad it's over. Oh, and I definitely think Doug should come before Daryl, but I'm biased. Well, there you are. But bias aside, I think you're good. (laughs) Yeah, that that is true. You know, the the DC team did seem to bang, 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 bang. They were just right. I mean, it was almost like they were in God mode, like Root would sometimes be. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe this was a season five, you know, manifestation of the machine. These, you know, maybe these guys all got together in in uh, in just in season five when the machine was more opened up. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Thanks, Snoop Dougie. Uh, Abby Max says, "I read the episode nine renewals. We should have gotten." Mm-hmm. That being said, I'm curious to what you both think was the turning point of the machine's losing streak with Samaritan. Yes, as she mentioned, it's now or never. But in a simulation of billions, wouldn't that have crossed her mind? I believe the turning point was John sacrificing himself because sacrifice is a theme we see Samaritan cannot comprehend, i.e. Root and Shaw. I'm curious to what your thoughts are and if I missed something. Furthermore, can we all admit that the final quote was not only a terrific ending, but a double shot to the knees of CBS <laughs> as it represented every fan that the show will never die? On a side Absolutely. note, yeah, I agree. On a side note, I am a new POI fan and love your podcast. Thank you for all the work you did for the show. I watched Fringe, so I will be going back to your former work. Let us fans know what you are doing next. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing next, but stay tuned to the Golden Spiral Media Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash golden spiral media. That's where we kind of announce the new podcasts that we start up and who those hosts are going to be. So uh, with whatever I end up doing, and hopefully I do something this fall, and I don't know if it'll be with Doug or not. There's a good chance it will be. So we'll let you know over there. Yeah. Um, Okay, turning point. This is a good question. What was the turning point? Because it did seem, you know, pardon the pun here, a little deus ex machina that the, uh, the, the machine would somehow overcome Samaritan. And, my thought on this is actually very similar to Abby's, and, and that is that the machine and Samaritan both had a little bit of a blind spot when it came to understanding human free will. And I think that there was a couple of blind spots there. John sacrificing himself is one of those, but I also think that Greer sacrificing himself was another one of those. And while he thought that that was going to be what would propel Samaritan to the next level, of you know existence i think it was actually without him behind the helm directly led to samaritan being vulnerable because he wasn't there to really help control things and at least keep harold at bay or whatever or distracted um so i think it was really the the turning point was greer's death and and then the the things that followed after that what are your thoughts doug i would say that uh what happened in the okay the in the satellite? What would you know? What was happening up there? The one thing that Samaritan didn't quite understand was Root sacrificing herself, uh, or actually, I'm I'm sorry, Shaw sacrificing herself to keep the team machine together, and didn't quite understand where that was going, and that always seemed to thwart it. So my this is again conjecture, 
My conjecture is that the mini machines fighting each other on those two laptops in the Faraday cage were trying to beat each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas my guess is what happened in the satellite was that the machine took out Samaritan and sacrificed itself to do that. Right. Maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's our opinion. We welcome yours. Yeah, I like that too. It's a good thought. All right, Stephen writes in and says, Hey guys, first and last time writing in. Been watching POI from the beginning and just found the podcast this season. Good to have you, Stephen. Great finale. Tied up loose ends and ended with Shaw still out there fighting the good fight. Even though we won't see it, knowing she's out there gives me great comfort. Mm -hmm. Some observations slash questions. I'd like to run past you. It took me a couple of viewings, but the voiceover from the machine was the machine talking to itself. That's brilliant. But with the subway car leaving the station, wouldn't the machine overheat, seeing as all the PS3s are gone? Also, I'm assuming that it was John's grave at the end. Do you know who the grave beside his is? I found it odd that they lingered on the grave for so long, but then cut away from John so quickly. Again, thanks for the podcast, and I can't wait to binge POI from the start. Yeah, I, I, you know, what computers were being used mm-hmm. for the machine at the end? That is a very good question. There were a few screens, just about three, four, five screens there, yep. but it wasn't quite the power you would think. Yeah, uh, it's. I think it's a very... Um infantile version of the machine just meaning it's it's just kind of the source code i don't think it's the full-blown thing but i even then i'm not sure if that's even right or or what machine what 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 the horsepower is running it because it yeah didn't seem to be enough but i don't know and then uh, the uh, the grave thing the idea there i think was not to show john's last name yeah i only want to just kind of keep that a mystery it was just one last piece of misdirection Let's linger on this one and, oh, here's this one. Never mind. (laughs) All right. Team Bear wrote in, said, final episode was a masterpiece, emotional and well done. A few questions came to mind. Number one, what's the fate of control? I think we answered that as best we can already. Uh, we, We wondered that too, though, for sure. And number two, in the last scene when Shaw answered the phone, what did the machine say to her? You have any speculation on that, Doug? I think that's for the fanfic people to try to pick up with. There's a sale on dog food over down the <laughs> down the corner. Yeah, um, drink your Ovaltine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There was some speculation in our chat here that it was actually letting her know that Root's still alive. That it was that Root actually didn't die. It was all just a cover up. Uh, which I love that idea. I don't know that I'm there with that theory, but I liked mm. it. I I I like a reality where Root's still alive because you know me. I love some Root, but I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's that's. Uh, I'm sure that's another one of those wide open questions like control. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andrew Jeeves said hi, Daryl and Doug, or Doug and Daryl, depending on who's reading this. Doug and Daryl, thank you. I'm giving this episode ten and a half bittersweet goodbyes. I did not catch it live as I was out with a buddy watching my Toronto Blue Jays lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks 4-2. It's my sportscaster sound. But thank God for PVR, which has saved the day again. What did we do before PVR and the internet to rewatch episodes? 
We had two VCRs. Words. And... Two words, videotape. Yeah, yeah those were great. <laughs> Anyways, we got a little more about Reese's past. Plus, it was interesting to see Reese and the machine outsmart Finch. But I was saddened to see Reese die at the end. I thought that he and Finch would survive and ride off into the sunset together and return to saving numbers with Shaw and Fusco. I was happy to see Finch reunite with Grace finally after so many years apart from each other. It was also interesting to see the subway car finally go out on its own, but now I wonder where the machine is running from. Yes, once again, after it received its new instructions after re-uploading itself on Earth. There are a few mysteries that remain. Number one. Who is Alistair Wesley? Last appeared in Season 2, Episode 7, Critical. What's his organization? What are his motives? And what is his connection to Reese? I uh, looked it up on the Person of Interest wiki, the Pedia of Interest. That is a great place to look for all of your questions, although they may not all be answered. But uh, Alistair uh, Wesley was the, um, I believe he was the guy before Reese. Is that correct? I th- yeah, I think that's right. He was the Reese before Reese. Oh, okay. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Th- he was an MI. He was an MI six guy. You know, I'm gonna have to actually look this up now and uh, and read it off to you. But yeah, no, he was. Uh, this is one of those. Um, no, he was not the Reese before Reese. That was somebody else. But he was an MI six guy who became aware of John Reese's activities as an operative with the CIA. Okay. And uh, he had observed him before, and then. Uh, he was trying. There was there's a whole uh, um, bit of uh, information about him, but he was with MI6, and it's one of those things that he said he was going to be back, but of course we just didn't have time to bring him back, unfortunately. Um, number two, what is Decima Technologies? Who's in charge, and what's their objective? Uh, again, from PD of Interest, Decima was dropped as a reliable business. In the episode Panopticon, that was the first uh, episode of season four, right after its operation, the company began a worldwide search on Harold Finch. And even if Decima is dismantled, all its operatives are not arrested or captured. They declared their allegiance to Samaritan as a new leader. So there was a lot of, you know, a corporate uh, hiring from uh, the other guy there. So mm-hmm. there we are. They all worked for Northern Lights for a little while there as goons, Samaritan goons. Number three. What happened to the hackers who helped root with the Samaritan servers? Uh, that's from the episode of House Divided when they were, it was the uh, season finale, I believe, of uh, three, season three, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Where they get in, or one of the final episodes where they get into the Samaritan servers and replace a few servers and give our new, give our team brand new identities. They all got brand new identities. Yep. So my guess is they're just hiding out in the shadows, off the grid. or not necessarily off the grid. Nobody can see them. And finally, what is John Reese's real name? And are any of his biological or adopted siblings still alive? Uh, I looked that up, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> uh, always, I enjoyed this podcast, and I will miss you guys a lot. I'll miss you too. Jeez. So until next time, don't stop believing. And I will see you guys in the next podcast project or the next GSM meetup if I have sufficient capital and funds to travel. Don't be strangers. Cheers. Excellent. There you are. Well, the next GSM meetup is actually, I've done a terrible job of, of getting this uh, solidified. It's going to be taking place in Chicago in about two weeks. So uh, Karen actually has been helping me. Uh, so I need to make a decision on the location. If you are subscribed to our email list, then you're going to get an email about it. We'll also post it over on uh, our main Facebook page, 
the Golden Spiral Media page and here on our on our POI group page. So because we, we want as many people to be there as possible. But it's coming up in about two weeks in Chicago and uh, more details will come very, very soon. All right. Uh, let's see. The next feedback that came in is from Andrew. He says, I give return zero 10 successful connections. This is a masterful resolution for the series. Part TV episode, part meditation on life and love. The scenes on and stemming from the rooftops are literally and figuratively on another level. It's interesting that there are no MPOV, which is machine point of view, transitions uh, or years displayed for the flashbacks. The machine is perhaps unstuck in time once again, as she asks Finch at one point if uh, that moment is now, if it's the present. It makes everything presented here feel more connected, past and present, natural and artificial memory. The machine's lesson is an incredibly powerful message, and its delivery from an everyday person reflects on how well POI works with different scales. For a show that's not really about happy endings, this one, while bittersweet, is quite uplifting. I am mm-hmm. so grateful to the entire cast and crew for this ride, and to you, Daryl and Doug, just going alphabetically, in order of my favorite person, for sharing <laughs> your enthusiasm and perspective. Yeah. I have been enthused. I will tell you that. This has been a great ride. Yeah, it really And a has. great show to, to do the commentary on, you know? Yeah. Um, it's been really it, uh, an intelligent, like I said, an intelligent series and, uh, lots of, uh, fodder for discussion. Yeah. And this is the type of show that I really love. I love to be able to sink my teeth into something and, and to have something that keeps me thinking when I go to bed at night. And that's why I'm not real sure if I found the next show for me yet. Cause I don't know that that show is out there that I can start with from the beginning. I know there are some great shows that are already out there. And I also recognize that Doug and I came into POI late, but if, if I get to choose, I I try to choose shows that I can pick up from day one. And it's always, it's often hard to to tell, you know, from day one, what kind of show it's going to be. So it's a little bit of a dice roll, but hopefully I'll find one that I can do for the fall. Thank you, Andrew. Alrighty, Gurjit Manja says, The reason I started watching this show was because of Jim Caviezel. Even though no one really talked much about him, but his portrayal of John Reese was the most underrated part of the show. Let me do my Howard Cosell. Yeah, John Reese was the most underrated part of the show. He was just awesome. Thank you. The wow. rating for the entire show was 103 out of 100. Maybe I am a prisoner of the moment, but hands down, this is the best show I've ever seen. Prior to this, Lost was my all-time favorite, but POI now claims the top spot. Ooh. Thanks for the awesome podcast. You're welcome, Gurdjieff. It was mm-hmm. a blast doing, let me tell you right now. Well, my other brother, Daryl Washington, wrote in and said, I don't have a rating exactly, but just some thoughts I would like to share. Out of everything Finch has done, he is the only one to get his couple happy ending. I hope Grace isn't so quick to forgive him. I mean, the man did fake his death for almost half a decade. (laughs) And I wish they had shown us if the machine duplicate had continued to take on Root's voice. What about that missile Root was looking up? Whatever happened with that? Because I heard the missile that was fired was apparently off some ship. I'll have to do a rewatch soon. Oh, that's right. Remember we talked about that. It was on. It was in some old missile silo in the former Soviet Union, and she was looking it up on the computer that day. 
Yeah, it's yeah. when she was, you know, the ballerina uh, yeah, persona and yeah, some Russian guy. And she, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, good memory, Daryl. Okay, I was glad to see Shaw show a level of emotion we haven't seen before. I'm pretty sure she wiped away a tear, too, after the message, which is big for her. Even more glad Jeff died. He deserved it. <laughs> I concur with all that, Daryl. I think you speak for a lot of us there, Daryl. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I pulled that off the uh, the Facebook group. You may not have realized this was going to show up here, but uh, but Daryl has. Uh, I just going to do this here. Daryl has been a, a really good member of the Facebook group, especially during that drought of almost a year, yeah. where there was no. Uh, no information, no no new episodes and stuff like that. Daryl was posting stuff to the Facebook group religiously. Um, so thank you so much for keeping that up. We kind of dropped the ball on that, but Daryl, and there were sometimes when I'd get, you know, I'd see some person of interest news and I go to post it and Daryl beat me to it. Mm-hmm. And if I beat Daryl, that was a good, that was a good day, you know? <laughs> so yeah, thanks a lot, Daryl, for, for, for doing your job. Dude. That was uh, not your job even, yeah. you know, for just yeah. cranking that out. That was great. Okay, Adam from New Zealand. We uh, we were noticing his uh, input from the uh, with the ratings before, and now here's his written uh, uh, feedback. He says, "Well, this is kind of like we're reading it on a computer screen. Monitoring newsfeed, increased enjoyment detected, one hundred percent. Classification relevant. Hmm. Immediate response required. Contacting civilian asset. Adam from New Zealand. Thanks for making the show over the years. It's been relevant." <laughs> I just wanted to toss in a point which I'm not sure too many people picked up on. The way Samaritan found the team is by using, and this is, I think, what I was referring to earlier, is by using the implant from Root's ear. This is how an anonymous tip finally caught up to our man in the suit. Ah, That was a a good point there. I hadn't really thought about that. Thanks again for the show. I'm not sure if you're being watched anymore, but you're definitely being listened to. So what's next? Cheers. I don't know what's next. We'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked up on the cochlear implant had it not been for Adam, so thank you for that. All right, Fusco NYC fan said, Sad that I found this podcast after POI is over. Glad that I can listen to the archives and interact with other POI viewers. Kind of appropriate since the interaction is one way, like the interaction between the machine and most of Team Machine. I love POI because at the core, it's about a team of people working together toward a common goal with the friendships and bonds that form coming out of such an endeavor. In that way, it reminds me of the A-Team. Only less cheesy. That was me. Well, and they don't really have an awesome van either. So. No, well, that's true. Okay. Yeah. They have a subway car, though. They do have an awesome subway car. It they needed to paint it black with a anywhere. red stripe and a spoiler on top. <laughs> that normally didn't go anywhere. Yeah. It's all right. Looks cool. Uh, Granted, each show is a product of the times that it was produced in, but the central premise remains a group of people out to help people. Mm -hmm. It was a great finale. It wrapped up all the important story arcs, and at the end of it, I wasn't left wanting for more. Well, I want more, but there's enough there to satisfy me. The writing staff did a great job with the 13 episodes they had to weave the cloth, continue weaving the cloth that is POI, and him the cuffs. Sad the ride is over, but for the machine, the show is never dead. Mm. Well said. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice, nice. All righty, Carol Dolacek. She says, my first rating of the series is 10 properly resolved storylines. Thank you. I took a break 
after Root's passing, but return for the finale, and what a finale it was. I commend all the actors for their performance, but most of all the writers of POI. Absolutely. The biggest drawback of this shortened season is that we will never get definitive answers for some people, but I think we can imagine probable outcomes for all of them, and the major plot lines have been properly completed. John's story finds its fulfillment in the final sacrifice for his mission and purpose, while Finch is finally redeemed and can return back home. Root is one with her god and in her own way protects them still. Fusco also comes out on top and is the copy was meant to be. Some people mentioned that Shaw never properly developed or redeemed herself. In my opinion, she never needed redemption beyond accepting the mission. It is completely unrealistic for her to become an emotional person. There's nothing in her future beyond the mission. And that is completely fine for her. Killing Blackwell in that manner also satisfied me completely. In the end, he chose himself over all the others, and him not even believing in the cause, just seeing it as a job, gave him zero likability and chance of survival. Good riddance, I say. I was slightly worried that they'd go the merging of AI's route, but it seems that in the end our machine finally won and deleted Samaritan. I found nothing indicating that Samaritan is still present. While some might see this as an overly optimistic ending, I'm quite happy with it. Thanks, GSM, for this podcast, and everyone in the group for sharing their enthusiasm. I wonder what the future holds. Indeed. The future for us, the future for these characters, the future for... Um, on Netflix, yes, who knows? <laughs> it would be cool. I mean, there's there are opportunities for more story to be told. Lots of opportunity, and... Will Netflix do something with it? I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always doubtful on that because yeah. of all the shows that end and stuff. They don't pick up very many of them, but it does happen. So yeah, every that, that, that's that's what everybody's. Oh, maybe Netflix will will pick them up. It's like yeah, they, they, there's very few, and 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 usually what, yeah, I mean, usually what Netflix wants is a lot of or, or these days is is trying to get original content mm-hmm. and not necessarily. You know, I mean, picking up a a, a known uh, you know viewer base is a good thing, and you know things have been doing that like um, uh, Fuller House mm-hmm. and uh, there's a couple other things like that where they they're re- redoing uh, or extending uh, existing shows. But uh, I think a lot of what they're trying to do is get away from licensing other stuff and come up with their own. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, next comes in from Karen, the Scarlet Cougar Lindsay who substituted for me uh, twice, three times, 20 times. I'm not yeah, sure how many. I'm trying to I don't recall yeah. exactly how many, but yeah, I, I remember those. Those were good times. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that you were, not because you were gone, but because you know, Karen does a good sure, job. Sure. Try she, to she dig yourself out of it. We all know what you meant. <laughs> she loves hey. the show. She says, when can we get a Kickstarter going for POI, the movie? Ooh, that's a good idea. Okay. For now, I will accept that it's over and give you a little feedback. My grade for the finale is definitely a solid 10 references to cardboard cutouts. I'm so glad that Fusco made it to the flip side. I mean, I'm happy with the outcome on all fronts, but Fusco had an amazing journey from corrupt cop to hero, and to see him unscathed, well, he had a couple of, you know, gut scars, but okay, he did survive. Yeah, you, know, that's, you can always, you know, brag about them later. Yeah. Uh, anyway, unscathed was awesome. Big picture time. I felt like every nuance meant something. Every line, every scene, every detail, they just mattered. 
And the line that got me? From Finch. When I hired you, I suspected you were going to be a great employee. What I couldn't have anticipated was that you would become such a good friend. Damn it! Why is it that I feel like I'm losing a friend? Thanks for the podcast, and I'll be here if you decide to do follow-ups too. Thank you, Karen. We got her on. We got her. uh, Got your number. We'll call you if we need you. (laughs) Stay. uh, Keep a payphone handy. That's right. Stay. Keep keep that tucked under your arm, (laughs) just in case. (laughs) And finally, oh my goodness. We have Spencer Adkins, and this is what he had to say. Very nice, uh, very nice feedback here. There's simply too much to digest in the final episode, but there are a few striking thoughts. Every one of the remaining Team Machine members was willing to sacrifice themselves for the other team members. Of course, John ended up doing just that, just like Root. To paraphrase a familiar scripture, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Perhaps that wasn't a specific intended reference from the writer's room, but that's that wonderful theme was clearly on display. Mm-hmm. Amy appearing as the embodiment of the machine was so powerful. The acting in this episode by all of the cast members was stellar, even Bear. Insert smiley face emoji. As it turns out, even though the machine couldn't defeat Samaritan in the previous simula- simulations, it turned out she was playing Ropadope and allowed Samaritan to literally expend itself into nothingness, a rewarding conclusion for the Black Hat ASI. The ending was indeed far beyond expectations, and certainly so much better than the ending we got with the Matrix series of movies. And I'll just add a little amen there. Please find the link to the Greg Plainman interview listed on the POI podcast Facebook site, because he answers so many questions we had, including letting us know they always had an ending in mind when this started. His remarks also confirmed what I stated to anyone who would listen. We all thought the show was years ahead of reality in terms of technology, but the Snowden revelations proved the show is about five minutes ahead of reality. Ponder that. The machine appears to have lived another day as well as Fusco, Shaw, Harold, and Team Machine, D.C. So, if someone wants to bankroll the show on another outlet, we'll be in business again. But I'm okay if this is the end. It will be hard to match the quality going ahead. The endings for each person were so appropriate, and as Plagman called them, poetic. Including the schlep painter guy who offed Root and tried to kill Lionel. He got what was coming to him. Overall, as viewers, we were driven to think the next level. Our emotions were pulled and stretched. We got a glimpse at art not only imitating life, but forecasting life. We loved the good guys, we hated the bad guys, and we were left with a question. If we're being watched, who's watching the watchers? This was just a most rewarding experience to have watched this show, and even though I found your podcast late in the game, POI brought us a wonderful chance to connect with others. Stay well, stay informed, stay safe. After all, it's a chaotic world out there. With best regards to all fellow irrelevance, Spence in West Virginia. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's a, it is a chaotic world out there. And that is a that is another good question. If mm-hmm. we're being watched, who is watching the watchers? Yeah. That's a, a common theme in uh uh I I've some other uh some other TV shows, some other movies. Yeah, who's in charge? You you always get back to the character of those who are doing the watching. 
And that's another uh, difference between Team Machine and Team Samaritan. Uh, the character, what are they, uh, how are they prosecuting their job? So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, man, we got such great feedback from everybody this week, making me appreciate the episode more, making me think about it more, making me appreciate the show as a whole more, and uh, also making me sad. I mean, I think we're all, it's it's bittersweet. It's a bittersweet ending. Uh, it mm-hmm. just the fact that it is an ending. We love what we got. We want more. We love the show. We love the interaction that we get from all of you. So we we love it. We love uh, hearing from you guys each week. We are going to miss it. You've definitely made this uh, this uh, ep- this podcast uh, even better than uh, just the two of us uh, yakking back and forth about what we think about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You've had a great impact on it. and and a lot of times you find things, you see things, and you make connections that we didn't uh, we didn't catch, and that's that's fun for us too. I mean, we're certainly not uh, you know see all do all and the experts on everything here, and it is really cool to see those connections that you make and that and that adds to the enjoyment for us absolutely it does it's been fun we'll be back again as we said multiple times we have no idea what uh, again go over to facebook.com slash golden spiral media make sure you follow that page uh, that's where we announce all the new stuff that golden spiral media does you can also head over to the website golden and sign up for our email list if you want to know more about the meetup that we're doing in Chicago in two weeks. It'll be part of a podcast movement, not part of podcast movement, but during that time frame of podcast movement, a lot of us are going to be there. A lot of the GSM hosts will be there. A couple of them live there. Troy and Aaron, they live up in Chicago as it is. So it should be a lot of fun. We've always had a good turnout when we've done meetups in Chicago. So this will be, I think the fourth time we've had a meetup in Chicago. So it should be fun. And so, yeah, go over to goldenspiralmedia.com and um, you'll see a place to sign up for the email list there. And that'll hopefully, um, I say hopefully because I'm, I'm terrible at sending emails out. I was going to say it'll hopefully keep you you know up to date with the new stuff, but I can't promise that. But the Facebook page will definitely let you know when we um, have new podcasts that are heading your way. Well, Daryl, this has been a blast. And I just yep. wanted to... Uh, real quick, do a little memory lane here. Oh. I pulled up the Google Doc of our very first TV Talk episode back in February of 2013. Mm. And guess which? Guess who was the the person then? The number was Logan Pierce. Oh, really? Yes, indeedy. <laughs> that was, and I, I think that was, I think that was the first TV Talk episode ever it was almost like a beta test yeah and uh and so and we so we've been doing this for a little over three years on and off mostly off yeah but um <laughs> that's great but that that has been a fun and, and and we came together really just by chance um i had uh, you know uh offered to, to do be a host a co-host for tv talk here's some of the shows i'm into uh, Stuart Crane, the uh, the man in charge, uh, put me and uh, Daryl together uh, and wanted to do something on Person of Interest. So we just kind of, it, it, you know, it was just, just the luck of the draw, really. And it was gr- really lucky, I think, um, that we, you know, got put together like that. I had no idea what Golden Spiral Media was at the time. And uh, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm paired with the guy who's running the show. That's really great. Yeah, it was new for me, too. I had no idea who you were. And what do you know? It worked I out. I was nobody. Ah. 
<laughs> uh, yes, indeed. So, I mean, it was just a great, great time there. We get to know each other, you know, little by little in, you know, 20 minute segments because those were sh- really short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe how we talked about them I don't in know 20 how we minutes. Did it. Here we are at three hours for this. Course. This is a special <laughs> series finale, but yeah, I don't know how we did 20 minutes. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, it's been a real great ride, Daryl, and uh, we'll see what happens. I, I'd love to do something else. And, uh, but yeah, and, and folks, you have been uh, great as, uh, as I said, uh, writing in, speaking in, and uh, having a having a good time here together, and just having a just having a chat here back and forth. Uh, kind of somebody had described it as yeah, a couple of guys sitting in the living room talking about it, and that's that's kind of separate living rooms. Yeah. I'm in my basement, but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> is it your mom's like basement? That. It's my basement. Okay, sure. <laughs> keep telling yourself that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, um, and, and the Facebook group that we have for POI uh, is going to stay open. And there's been a lot of uh, questions about that. We, we won't close it down as long as there's activity going on. So continue to come over there and chat about what's on your mind. If you see surveillance in the news items or the projects that our beloved cast is involved with next, uh, feel free to continue the conversation over there. We'll still be there. And um, we'll see you down the road. As long as you don't forget us, we'll never be gone. And uh, neither will POI. Well, thanks again for listening. And I'm Daryl. It has been my tremendous pleasure podcasting about this wonderful show. And now I think I'm going to go channel my inner Fusco and grab a burger and fries. Absolutely. And I'm Doug saying, if your number comes up, we hope there's a billionaire computer geek with a conscience. A bit of bad code that has been rewritten. An emotionally stunted former government terrorist killer. A good New York City detective that took down a group of corrupt cops. Uh, Another detective that was rescued from that group and turned his life around. A Belgian Malinois dog who understands Dutch and is always faithful. Or a former CIA operative with incredible aim, whom some call... The man in the suit, watching over you. 